The views and opinions expressed on Red Planet are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect those of Red Planet nor any affiliated or related entities. This podcast is provided for educational purposes only. Listener discretion is advised. everyone, welcome to Red Planet. This week we are talking about dual power. Basically, it's about how we organize to a point where the state becomes, uh, cucked. And then uh, hopefully there's a transition of power over to the working class. We'll also talk about Trump claiming that he's going to get arrested, which definitely happened. Macron pushing through the pension reform, which uh, immediately set France on fire, and a uh, tough Nazi allying with some some regular Nazis who are doing Hitler salutes. But first, Mule has a completely normal and definitely real anecdote. So anyway, then he turned around when he was absolutely full to the brim um, and said, you know, I just think of myself as a classical liberal and I've never felt more ashamed (laughs) in my entire life. Wow. So... Not great. That was such a powerful real anecdote. (laughs) <laughs> it was uh, real. I don't know what you're talking about. The realest thing. The small details seldom. You, you definitely didn't forget your cold open ten no. seconds before we went live. <laughs> mm. I don't know what you mean. I don't even know what a cold open is. I'm just a silly little guy, and that's that. <laughs> you're right. You're that. right. Uh, this is Red Planet. Uh, this is Red Planet. Welcome to the show. It's the weekly Call Me Roundtable where we talk about how to make the world a better, nicer, kinder, lovelier place. Uh, but before we do all that, Mule, so what was the most base thing you did this week? Well, um, I didn't do much uh, activism this week, but mm. um, I think that's fine because I do a load every week. Uh, and True. this isn't even this isn't even a cop out from this week as well. Uh, this is actually a, a, a cop out from from last week because what what oh. happened was I actually I forgot about this completely forgot about this. But I was interviewed for the digital uh, journalist outlet Dazed. Yeah, um, and uh, mm. I was interviewed in that article as my capacity is elected member solidarity officer of the greater manchester tenants union and it was a pretty good article i read through it i first first i skimmed through it and then i shared it around and stuff and then people were saying oh my god it's really good so i uh, uh, uh read all of it entirely which i probably should have done anyway but i did uh and it was good it was good basically uh eve upson clark is is the 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 journal who got in touch with us um and i spoke to her and and gave her some stuff uh i remember when i answered her question she said i'm really disappointed that i can't put all of this in the article oh Um, yeah yeah, she was she was like oh she was like oh this is so good i'm so happy um so that was pretty nice and it was mostly it was mostly the article about how gen z sort of like Zoomers are are getting a lot of marketing directed towards them about being, you know, a hustler, you know, like a, a, a trying to trying to be a landlord. Like and stuff. Yeah, all this yeah. kind of stuff. And But you know what I did when I got interviewed by Rolling Stone? I recorded it on my end. Because I wanted oh. to make sure that they didn't like lie about what I'd said, obviously. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Journos and trans people, you know. But like, um, I mean, especially considering the history of like consider- why you were <laughs> considering why I was talking to them, yeah. But yeah. like, um, but then like after the article came out, I also put the full interview up on my Patreon. So like, you should do that yeah. when you get interviewed. 
I should. I should. Yeah, Unfortunately, this was just um, one of these where you basically just type your answers to the person. Oh, so, gotcha. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. So yeah. it was. It wasn't like a cool interview where I was there on Zoom <laughs> wearing like a I don't know a GMTU hoodie or whatever. It was just like yeah, yeah. Just typing my answers on uh, on an email. So it was pretty fucking easy to be honest. Uh, yeah. I didn't even know. I, I didn't mean, even consider that. At least then you have it uh, all written down in case, you know, you ever do feel like you're misrepresented or whatever. You'd be like, here is the email chain where she said that I actually am very cool. I, and yeah, that, she that, said that, I yeah. am very cool and based, actually. I do um, have the Sigma grinds here. <laughs> right, exactly. Mm. So uh, that is kind of a cop-out. Uh, what's the most based thing you did this week for good. me? Yeah. Oh, thanks, mm. Tim. You're always too good. Thanks, I do. <laughs> and thank you babe appreciate that and with that it's time for me to ask tim what would you mm. what was the base thing what was the base thing you did this week what is the most base thing i mean yeah i was i was trying to think because i was like busy at work all week and i didn't really think that i had done anything so i was thinking of like of all the things i did that i didn't think were that based something what is the most based you know relatively and then i was like oh actually that was kind of based um I I just the other day I just did a large um like a traditional Maori um tattoo tamoko on um a woman's kind of like stomach and going down a little bit further and stuff that was like really important to her for like like she had like a bunch of kind of like trauma and like kind of issues and stuff surrounding that and stuff and it was um just a really good time and she was like super stoked and like I think I posted on Twitter how like afterwards she was like, oh, is this, is it weird to say that this makes me feel more like me and stuff like that? And I feel like that's really nice. That's, that's pretty based, you know, like that's kind of like, like, I think that sounds extremely based. Yeah. Cause I mean, like people always ask me like, oh, you know, if there was like, you know, full communism and you didn't have to work anymore, like, would you, would you still do tattoos? And I think I definitely would because of things like that, you know, like, I feel like that's like a, way to kind of you know give back to people and i just would have a totally different relationship with the um yeah. business of tattooing but yeah i think that's um out of out of everything i did this week that's probably i've tattooed best. my friends a little bit stick and poke and like i i really love doing it it's definitely something i want to get more into doing and definitely like if there was full communism would be something i would definitely do for like <laughs> yeah, for, yeah. for fun not not to like diminish your um like tim's a a far superior artist to me, obviously. <laughs> uh, I mean, I just think that, like, in general, like, the process is quite, um, you know, like, it is quite, like, a, I guess, like, a special and quite an intimate thing as well, you know, especially when you're doing things that, like, are kind of, like, quite personal to people. Yeah. And um, that's why I, I get really, um, I really hate the kind of increasing kind of commodification and corporatization of tattooing, um, mm. which has, like, been happening pretty steadily for the last sort of, like, 10 to 20 years or so and um and it's kind of taking a lot of that magic out so that's why i try and try and push back against um corporate tattooing as much it as is, possible it is really interesting and i don't know what your um you know thoughts on this kind of stuff is tim but like mm. i do find it really funny when you know you go out and you see your like typical bro and he's got like a, he's just got a sleeve of tattoos and you're there and you're going oh that's a really cool sleeve and then you look at it and it's just like it's just this whole one stuff, big design yeah. and it's yeah, like yeah. you know and it's like okay like you know I, I would never like have a go at someone and be like oh you should get tattoos with meaning it's like no your body's a canvas do what the fuck you want with it but it is like 
there is that sort of generic tattoo that people have yeah. there absolutely is like a generic kind of tattoo well, a lot of it you know like people these days will call them like you know like this is like the fuck boy tattoo look or like the love <laughs> island tattoo look is right. like a really good one because i think that nice. sums it up really well because yeah, it's like, that does actually you watch the shows like love island and all of the guys have a really similar like it's like a black and gray sleeve with like some roses a pocket watch um yeah, maybe like a watch. lion uh, sometimes the lion's wearing a crown um you know just like stuff like that and it's it's so true because people just come in and they have no tattoos at all and they're like I want this one. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I think I've not only definitely told you about this before, but I think I've said it on the show. I still really want to tell you again. Uh, <laughs> Nat once saw a cop who had like a forearm tattoo. Oh, yeah. It was just like Rorschach, like from <laughs> oh, Watchmen wow. yeah, with a little yeah, speech yeah. bubble that just says no. And that's the whole <laughs> yeah, tattoo. Yeah. Cops so love, there's like certain types of tattoos that are cop tattoos, like, um, yeah, black and gray, like kind of, um, realist, realistic portrait kind of style stuff of, um, of animals and also of like Greek kind of statues and gods oh, and God. stuff like that. Like yeah. it's super popular with cops, but, um, Forehead. yeah, yeah. It's like, it's honestly, like you can pick them. Like when, you know, when people, like if they email through the shop or they come in and they're off duty or whatever like that, you can like instantly tell who's a cop. But um, <laughs> thankfully, because I'm quite, I guess like politically vocal on all of my work, Instagram stuff. I, um, I don't really tattoo much cops, which is funny. I don't know. Funnily enough, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, so what is the most based thing that you did this week? That's a good question. Um, I had, well, actually I actually had my first appointment with, so last year, last week I said, I was going to say last year, what am I talking about? Uh, last week I said my most based thing was I finally got my healthcare sorted and I'm with TransPlus now. Um, so to continue that on, I had my first appointment, which is really cool. And I should be getting free therapy sorted. Um, it was a bit of, it was nearly a bit of a mess because I thought that my appointment was on the next day and that my laser appointment was on that day. I went to my laser, went to the laser clinic and they were like, no, no, you're booked in for tomorrow. And I was like, oh fuck. I, I nearly like mixed this up really badly and like missed the, like the trans plus appointment I've been trying to sort out for like nearly a year. Um, but they ended up fitting me in. So I just had laser and then trans plus on the same day. Um, but like on the, on the topic of healthcare, actually I'm starting to do something else, which I think is like quite cool um, to do with healthcare, which is um, as people may be aware, I had facial feminization surgery last year uh, with Dr. Anna Slutsky in Armenia. Uh, she's Russian, but she's operating in Armenia now. And um, so like, she's she's she does fantastic work and she's a lot cheaper than like all the other options available to dolls but like it's also a massive hassle (laughs) because like you have to go to armenia and like um you you really realize how limited the anglosphere is when you have to travel to a place like armenia it's like actually nobody speaks english there whatsoever um and there's no reason why they should um so like it's it's quite challenging and you need to get like a new sim card and traveling there is expensive and hard and like places to stay is difficult and like a lot of people are really conservative so like being safe as a trans person blah 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 blah. so i'm like in touch with um another one of her patients and hopefully we're going to put together like a little english uh english language guide for people like so they know what to expect if they have to go um to armenia to get surgery with anna so like yeah Yeah. that's a that's the thing i started doing and i think that should I don't know when that will be at any point, but like we just started doing that and that's hopefully going to help some people out. So yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. That would be awesome. Yeah. That was me. Um, What about 
the news. Oh, what about uh, it? Good. Tim, do you want to tell yeah, us about got, everyone's got... favorite orange boy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got a little bit of um, news um, today. It just reminded me, um, around our elections over here, we have like an election mascot that is just like an orange man. And like people used to just call him Orange Guy or like the Orange or whatever. So whenever but Orange Man to, bad. Like, yeah, whenever people refer to like the Orange Man or whatever, I'm always like, "Ooh, it's election time." No, um, <laughs> he's just like a weird like 3D animated stick man. I think he's got a face. I can't remember, but he's just like this, just this orange guy, you know. Um, it's rough. Anyway, the other orange guy, um, Trump says he will be arrested Tuesday. Calls on supporters to protest. Awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is just like, well, so it- at this point, it's not super clear what exactly is going on here because yeah. he, um, so then his, his information, he says he has got from media sources. Right. Um, but so it, it hasn't been confirmed by any official, you know, mm-hmm. any official sources, his legal team haven't, Said, they said they haven't received any information <laughs> that kind of says he's going to get arrested or anything like that. But he has been very clear on Twitter that he believes he is going to be arrested on Tuesday. So, yeah. So um, he, jumped, he jumped on Twitter like yesterday and, start, you know, posted the big all caps rants. Um, yeah. Just saying like all kinds of wild stuff. Like <laughs> it was um, the far and away leading Republican candidate and former president of the United States of America will be arrested on Tuesday <laughs> of next week. Protest. Take our action back. Uh, take our nation back. We just can't allow this anymore. Oh my and God. what else was that? They're killing Jesus. our nation as we sit back and watch. We must save America. Protest. Oh my God. Protest. Protest. We're doing um, country. They're doing country back, but make it American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're doing orange man's life matters. <laughs> That's what they're doing. There's a couple of interesting things. Like, um, uh, I mean, firstly, there's a dang Cheeto going to jail. Uh, get that out of the way. Um, <laughs> secondly, um, I, I heard, isn't he, he's in Florida now, right now, right? And Because I, I, so. I, I heard oh, some people nice. talking about like, basically extradition like him trying to hide in florida from the rest of the u.s and from the from the federal government and I, found that, I found that quite funny as an idea because whether it's accurate or not like the idea of um a question of whether or not florida would would like extradite trump is like um the governor of florida is ron DeSantis, who's his main rival for the republican nomination so i'm like i think they probably would they fucking would <laughs> he would do it in a fucking heartbeat that's part of what people are looking forward to um, on Tuesday. People are saying that um, DeSantis has been using a lot of his power recently to uh, to turn the cops into his own police force, um, as oh, opposed wow. to you know the the government's you know <laughs> militarized arm or whatever. Like specifically, you know himself. So um, so if, oh if the police do have to um do have to go down to the little Mar-a-Lago or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, things things could get extremely funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so this is all regarding to the testimony that um, the grand jury just heard related to his payoff of Stormy Daniels, the um, the sex worker that he was that he was seeing on the down low, and then tried to pay her to keep quiet. Um, but so he was doing it through an intermediary. I can't remember who it was. It was one of his little one of his little henchmen. Um, mm. 
but I think the, the guy messed up somehow or something. I think he didn't do one payment or something like that. So then she just immediately was like, okay, fuck you then. Um, or there was a, some, some point of conflict where she was like, okay, no, I'm going to actually just open up about this. Um, Trump obviously thinks that it's from the corrupt Manhattan district attorney. Um, you know, <laughs> obviously. Excellent, excellent. Extremely obviously. normal. Normal mind, normal brain. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so uh, Trump's lawyer, Joseph Tacopina, said he hasn't been informed of the poss- any possibility of Trump being arrested on Tuesday. But he also, but he said it in an interesting way. He didn't say this isn't happening, but he said no one tells us anything, which is very frustrating. Um, so he said President Trump is basing his response on press reports and the fact that this is a political prosecution and the DA leaks things to the press. I mean, like of communicating to the lawyers as they should. Trump's brain, like, I don't know. He could easily have just seen someone reporting about about the testimony and then scrolled down on Twitter and seen someone else talking about Tuesday. And he immediately started tweeting like, they're going to arrest me on Tuesday. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. it could be based on absolutely nothing. Yeah, it is funny, though, because it's like. Yeah, you know, you could actually, uh, like, the DA does does leak information to the press instead of, you know, like, communicating to, yeah. you know, like, yeah. actual, you know, like, people related to cases. Like, they do that all the time, but it's yeah. like, okay, now we're supposed to care because it's like the, you know, the cheat. Yeah. <laughs> like, fuck them. Um, but yeah. Um, uh, middle does, Marxist in chat just said, uh, but if DeSantis did, like, uh, extradite Trump or arrest Trump or whatever, he'd lose all his support. And I do, I just want, I, I was just bringing this up because, like, um, uh, the thing about De- DeSantis and Trump is like, it's already incredibly split. And everyone who, who thinks that DeSantis is the guy, right? Like, already has kind of come to the conclusion that Trump is part of the deep state and is part of the cabal yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. There's no, uh, there's which, no I mean, way. There's he, no he way. Is, he is because what lose. they're referring to when they talk about that is the ruling class. So yeah, he yeah. is actually, but I mean, so is DeSantis, but like, mm. it, I'm just saying he wouldn't lose all his support. Right. No. Cause like he, yeah, he, he could, he could just, he could just be like, yeah, he was evil. He was one of the guys. He was one of the demons. I found out he was a lizard. Anything that DeSantis did against Trump, his supporters would already want him to do that you know there has been um stuff in the whole kind of like q circle where they've talked a little bit about like you know since trump has obviously you know like lost power and all this kind of stuff and they're saying like you know what happened and it's like you know we thought he was our guy or whatever and then it's like oh okay no he was compromised or you know like things like this it's like they'll continue to kind of invent new ways to reconcile the events you know it's like yeah it's like the classic thing it's like oh he promised to do the fascist leader promised to do all of these things or whatever. Um, you know, he didn't, he failed. It wasn't because we were wrong or he was like totally misguided or whatever. It's because yeah. the, yeah, the, the deep state compromised him, but now we got a new guy, this new guy yeah. though, he's our yeah. guy, you know, it's, it's very um, when prophecy fails. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I think there's a, like a lot of um, crossover with the, a lot of conspiratorial stuff and the kind of Q sphere mm. with um yeah just was straight up like weirdo prophecy shit you know like um, so um yeah so we'll see how that goes like honestly there is there's very little to suggest that he will be arrested um but uh it's i mean it's funny so um yeah 
Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. I, I agree. Yeah. Staunch, staunch, staunch police abolitionist, except when it's funny, is, um, <laughs> is my, <laughs> my personal standpoint. I, I said this last week, but I mean, all prisons need to be destroyed, but all of the ruling class need to be kept in a little zoo where they do like ironic performances of the bad things they did to the working class. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All, all prisons are destroyed and then all presidents destroyed too. Um, <laughs> if he is indicted, Trump uh, will become the first ever president to face criminal charges which is fucking yep. wild because they are all criminals yeah so um yeah, Mil, why don't you tell us um about update us on what we've been following over in france with the uh, pension reform thanks tim um yeah so we have been looking at as tim said over the last few weeks uh strikes in france because uh -huh. of the pension reforms they're trying to up the pension age and you know you gotta love france uh, you know the pension age is something like 40 years old and they're just trying to raise it by like a month uh, and they're out there in the streets every day <laughs> this is incorrect by the way this is sad. yeah that's a little bit of an exaggeration it's an exaggeration yeah the pension age i believe is uh 62 and they're trying to up it to 64. Um, and here's the thing, you know, they've been protesting for so long, you know, the people who were sort of like, a, a you know, a, against um, the, uh, the, pens the pension raising um, <clears throat> that it's like, well, you know, why is nothing happening? Well, yeah, Macron, what has he done? Uh, well, they, they, they wanted to have a vote about it in parliament and uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, he just decided to to not pay any attention to that whatsoever yep. and yep. push through the plan, which is an interesting awesome. an interesting turn of events, to be honest, for, for uh, you know, someone like Macron, you know, sort of, you know, he says he's a centrist, really, doesn't he? Which is which is quite funny uh, because he's acting like a piece of shit fascist right now. And not for the first time. Yeah, not for the first time. Maybe maybe that's the, the summit to say there about all centrists. So new strikes and protests from some of France's leading unions. Uh, they're basically, um, you know, uh, striking so hard that, that there's just so many people getting arrested right now. Um, 61 people were arrested on Friday night, I believe. And then uh, they tried to ban protests in the central square where they hold demonstrations in, in Paris. And I think yep. that as a result of that, everyone just went no we're going out to do that and then 81 people yeah. got arrested oh wow yeah um, i mean just good good luck making it so french people can't protest like in britain fucking easy as hell the tories were just like yeah it's illegal now and everyone just carried on yeah everyone watching was just coronation like, street or whatever oh that's a oh, shame shit in God. france you're like don't don't protest in this space and then like the entire country congregates into that one square yeah yeah, yeah, just absolutely fucking base, to be honest. Um, but yeah, there's lots and lots of footage, um, including a very definitely not funny and definitely not Red Planet approved video of a cop getting fly kicked in the back. Um, oh, it's not it's not funny. No, Tim, it's illegal. Um, I love it. My, um, my, my to personal see the opinion. chronicle of history, um, you know, if you see these things <laughs> preserved my, um, on film. My personal opinion, which doesn't reflect the opinion of Red Planet or any affiliated entities, uh, is that it is funny and that uh, that protester is an international hero of the proletariat. Um, Honestly, I just love any video where someone is like pulling off like a flying kick or something. Yeah. Because that shit awesome. is like, 
Like that, you barely even see that in like professional yeah. fighting, you know. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like it, it makes sense because it's like such a risky maneuver, right? Is, um, yeah. And yeah. you know, like I guess at a practice, you have more open space and mm-hmm. you know all that kind of stuff. But well, um, a, well, a flying yeah. kick, a flying kick should only ever be done to uh, a cop facing the back. I mean, uh, if an opponent is, is facing away from you, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. or also uh, a Nazi that's uh, also a Crystal Palace fan, and you are Eric yeah. Cantona in nineteen ninety two. Um, very nice yeah because that is also the 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 last time i saw a flying kick um uh, distributed to a fascist that was very funny and there's just something about the way that like he runs on from off screen to do the flying (laughs) kick like it's it just gives this incredible energy that like he must have been like to the rest of the crowd he just must have been like hey old my beer and then like (laughs) runs like right down the street like flying kick into the like also, I need to say this. Last week, I said, right, they passed the law. I was like, look, all these strikes, those are those are demonstrating worker power. They passed this law. It's going to kick the fuck off. Am mm. I psychic or did I use dialectical materialism? Who can tell? It's both. I think it's both because I believe ghosts are real. So, uh, yeah, it, this is this is really, really good stuff um, in terms of, like, you know, people fighting back against it. I'm proud of the French, as per usual. Uh, more proud of the French than I am of my own country. Um, riot police have been using tear gas and clashing with people in the crowd. If you've seen some of the videos as well, you will also see uh, just horrific uh, police violence, as per usual. ACAB 1312. Yeah. Um, Ariane Lager, uh, 36. Uh, was among about 200 people demonstrating in the small southern town of Ledev. I mean, you know, it should be uh, mentioned as well that these aren't just all taking place concentrating in Paris. These are all protests that are happening all over France. Um, But Ariane says, we're fed up. We feel like we're being trampled on and no one is listening. A broad alliance of France's main unions has said that it would continue to mobilize to try and force a U-turn on the pension changes and a day of nationwide industrial action is planned for Thursday. I don't actually know if that's Thursday this coming week or it's already been, um, according to this article here. So I'm I'm not Uh entirely sure. I imagine it's possibly already been. Uh, Eight days of nationwide protests since mid-January and many local industrial actions have so far been largely peaceful, but the unrest over the past three days is reminiscent of the Yellow Vest protests, which erupted over high fuel prices and forced Macron into a partial U-turn on carbon tax. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes, won't we? Um, Uh But bringing um, it to a different continent altogether, Sophie, why don't you tell us about Kelly J. Keene? Uh, yeah, you know what, I will. I will tell you about Kelly J. Keen Minchel, better known as Posey Parker, who uh, has been doing a tour of Australia. Um, and uh, this week she was in Melbourne. Um, so <laughs> it's it's one of these things that I've, I've tried to point out about, like, I, I, when I was being interviewed for the Penis Woman stuff, like, I was trying to point out to people, like, there's a clear class disparity here, like, the fucking Tory councillor is the one uh, libeling me in the in the national press. You got Posey Parker is has the money to just like fly to Australia to do a bunch of speaking engagements, right? Like trans people don't have that. We're 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 with like we're just struggling to get by. Yeah. Anyway, they always talk about the the powerful trans lobby or whatever. Yeah, right? like, like I'd love to have that power. Work. <laughs> yeah. Where's where's my fucking Soros check? We keep saying this. Anyway. Um, but she was in Melbourne this uh, this week, and uh, pictures from it have caused quite a stir because a bunch of fucking Nazis showed up to support her. And when I say Nazis, if there are any, 
uh, pearl clutching liberals watching, worried about the use of the word Nazi and the the dilution of its meaning. I'm talking about dudes doing the Nazi salute. Uh, dudes who talked about how much they love being Nazis before on social media. Um, Sophie, I'm anyway. terribly surprised at this. I couldn't see this coming a mile off. Yeah, I, Nazis supporting Kelly mm. J. Keane, who's worked with Tommy Robinson and the England Defence League and the Football Lads Alliance before. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, so they're carrying they're carrying a banner that read "Destroy Pedo Freaks." They shouted slurs at the uh, the queer activists. They chanted "White Power" and threw up Nazi salutes. Uh, Posey Parker was joined by Catherine Deeves, who uh, ran unsuccessfully as a liberal candidate for Warringah in uh, 2022. I did a stream a little while ago about her. She's very cringe, just very, very deeply cringe. She like, I'm pretty sure she like fled her home claiming that like trans activists had done something. And there was like, there was no evidence that she had even like made a police report or anything. Like there was yeah, no yeah, evidence yeah. Oh, that, I remember this that one, she yeah. took her own lie seriously. Yes. Yeah, no, she um she said she had claimed like I think basically she had made some she had just was like talking to someone like in an interview or whatever and you know people like because people would be like like what are they actually doing though? You're like we're talking about yeah. all these like scary trans people and she's like, Oh well they'll come into my home or something like that. And then they were like, Really? Is that did that happen? And she's like, Oh shit, um I I guess, you know, like just immediately like panicking. But um she also, also she wasn't like- Oh, yeah. oh well when she fled she she just went to like her beach house like she yeah, yeah, like, exactly, spe- yeah. speaking again of how like these are all like middle class dipshit liberals who've like been radicalized into fascists like she, you know the terrifying trans lobby has no power at all and then she is just like i had to flee to another house i already owned yeah yeah and uh, she was in the news i remember um quite a bit when she was kind of a little bit more relevant i guess um doing the whole like you know like woman in sports kind of thing yeah. as well and stuff so um yeah a lot of people were trying to pretend like she is you know just some like neutral party that was just there to like Ridiculous. you know to let women speak or whatever it's like no yes very clear of, agenda here. it's a, it's imagining a... this scenario where she's like fled her home to be some kind of like alan partridge-esque skit where she's like <laughs> done too much cocaine and she's having a bit of a, a worry and then she freaks out and just starts tweeting um yeah it's just some kind of you know yeah, extremely privileged like, uh yeah. you know yeah yeah brain um she also um I, I mean bringing her on trying to pretend she's neutral is wild as well because she just calls trans women men so like within i've i've seen this kind of setting like you're saying where they try and bring her on and pretend she's neutral and it's like within exactly 30 seconds she exposes herself as like a far-right freak she might as well like just have like the swastika tattoo on her forehead like for for, for the in terms of like the pretense that she's neutral she might as well just be walking out there like Hi, I mean, hi, everybody. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I was um, just saying, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she also, so she's also uh, had to retract and apologize for comparing anti-transgender activism to standing up against the Holocaust, which, oh, um, yeah, you, should you know, apologize. famously the Nazis loved trans people. That's why the Nazis are supporting you, Catherine. Yeah, anyway, um, Posey Parker that's... has made headlines for activism that centers around whipping up anti-trans hatred in a video broadcast on twitter in february she threatened women who oppose her stating each and every one of you women who stand in my way will be annihilated in the same rant she compared trans women to sexual predators and serial killers although 
that's just kind of every second word she says is doing that. So uh, in January, a so-called gender critical activist was recorded quoting Adolf Hitler's Mein Kampf in a speech against trans rights at another Posey Parker event in Newcastle. She was saying she was using, she wasn't just quoting it, right? Like sometimes you can say, you can think like maybe quotes kind of filter down in a weird way and then this attribute. Okay. Perfect example, right? The, the, the Voltaire quote that's like, to see who's really in charge of society, you have to look at, you're not allowed to criticize. And it's like, that's not from Voltaire. It's literally from a neo-Nazi. And it's it's meant to sound like a kind of class consciousness thing that's obviously just anti-Semitic, right? And it was, it was said by a neo-Nazi to do that stuff. But she wasn't just quoting Mein Kampf. She was like using the ideological terminology of Mein Kampf and using the ideas to construct her point. Like it was, <laughs> it was incredibly involved. It was like, you have to have read Mein Kampf to really to be making the point yeah. she's making. Yeah, um, like, like Mein Kampf yeah. is loosely about how Hitler like had a bad experience with one Jewish person and therefore uh-huh. like you know did the Holocaust right. So it's like if you're if you're doing that same thing, if you're like you know uh, 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 feeling like Hitler is speaking to you in that way, y- you might be Hitler. You might actually just be like another Hitler. You know. It's yeah. um, it's the one thing to me is that I've seen since the event in Melbourne and stuff. I've seen it over here, um, and I saw like um, yeah, I kind of got into it a bit with um this dude on Twitter who's like a really well known kind of liberal constitutional lawyer over here, and um, he's doing the whole like you know it's like the 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 ridiculous liberal thing where it's like we can't impede on their right to you know to or to to say yeah, which things, is ridiculous you know, to have the nazi re- which is wild because it's like yeah like um someone someone had commented like you know like i don't agree with your um i don't agree with your ideology but i'll fight to death for the right for you to organize and build power around it or some <laughs> shit like that and it's like because that's what you're doing right you know and yeah. um you know like these people are saying like oh well if we if we deny them their you know their right to have their nazi parades then that's infringing on their um freedom of speech which makes them you know like a a, like it sets them as like a subhuman class or whatever like that and it's just like wow like man you guys have so much time to to litigate this shit when it's about nazis but like this kind of stuff is like literally happening around like trans people where they are literally being forced into you know like in like being force out of society being killed yeah. all this kind of stuff like that it's like i didn't see like i didn't see any of you talking about this shit you know like there's been but a, it's a, also like I, it's yeah, like in even in um you know polite liberal society or whatever we have to acknowledge that like you know free speech has limits and we can enforce those limits without being like oh no we made this person a subhuman but um yeah. yeah this guy was like well you know if you start doing this like um maybe look up jim crow and see how oh, that goes Jesus it's like Christ. oh my god like oh this could gosh. only come from like an affluent white lawyer on oh, the other side hell. of the world <laughs> like, you know, um like, yeah the like the the thing about like i mean i don't know it's like is it even is it even worth getting into karl popper wrote the fucking open society and its enemies in 1945 like it's been we've we've had the paradox as well it's like you know like i always like find that funny like (laughs) you know these people like the fucking paradox of tolerance for decades now come on we know how this works like no like it's so fucking ridiculous also like i don't know we speaking of what you're saying about like being forced out of society like um 
something we don't have listed in the news this week, but like is something that has been being discussed in the news this week is um, Eden, this trans girl who uh, her family was um, from Saudi Arabia and basically like mm, they had right. her kidnapped and forced like, mm. like put into um, a conversion, like a conversion therapy, therapy. Yep. like, and she killed herself. And it's like, there's the kind of, there's a big justice for Eden campaign. You can check it out on Twitter, like hashtag justice for Eden. Uh, and you can read her full story. My friend Jack Saint made a little video telling her story. And it's also like a fundraiser for trans lifeline. Um, and like, you know, but I, I, I have a, I have several friends who've been subjected to conversion therapy and one who also was literally kidnapped by her, like her family taken to another country and subjected to it. Like this is, you know, even things that we, I think a lot of cis people might see and think like, wow, that's really extreme. It's like, I know people who've been in this exact situation. Um, Anyway, uh, this story we're talking about is about Posey Parker. So let's talk about Posey Parker a little bit more. Uh, fucking awful M&S brand, Eva Braun. Um, and but she will her... be in New Zealand next weekend as well, by the way. Oh, She's coming here. So any, I know there's a lot, of, um, a lot of people from down here that watch. Um, so I think... Uh, hold on, I'll just find out which is. You carry on. I'm going to find out where the thing is because um, there is going to be an. There is going to be a protest. To kind of I will. I will say from experience, I've 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 noticed that she gets quite upset when people do the Seven Nation Army chant. Uh, Posey Parker's a fascist. Uh, it it really riles her up. Um, so just a little go. tip. Um, <laughs> anyway, at all of her tour dates so far, Posey Parker has been met with protests from the. Uh, the notes here say LGBTQ plus, uh, uh, and I don't know that word, uh, I, this, the, this lib terminology is going to make me set, start using my favorite slurs. Uh, anyway, the queer community has shown up to protest all of her, uh, all of her, uh, events, uh, as has been regularly the, regularly the situation, um, in London. Um, I've talked a bit about this, uh, like they're trying to stage a like monthly rally in Hyde Park. And um, the last one, at least, was massively outnumbered. There's another one on the, well, literally next Sunday, like a week from now, if anyone's watching and is in London, Hyde Park, uh, there's going to be a turf rally there. Uh, Posey Park is not at it, but it's like, it is her thing. Um, and here's, a, here's, here's a, a thing, like, as well as what Tim's saying about New Zealand, so we should uh, stay tuned for that in a second. But like, um, with Posey Parker not there, I do reckon the turfs are going to be really fucking demoralized at this one next week in London. So... I think it's especially important to show up to this one because if we massively outnumber them, they're gonna, they, a ton of them are not gonna show up to the next one because they're just gonna feel like shit. They're gonna go home oh, yeah. and cry and oh, get yeah. divorced. And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Their, their wives are going to get remarried to a trans woman and start calling her their other mom. And uh, they're going to forget they ever had a dad. And then uh, Graham Linehan's going to, or my, my hypothetical imaginary guy and not a specific guy is uh, going to be really sad. Um, okay. Yeah. So, um, so um, she's, yeah, she's going to be in New Zealand this weekend. Um, so Auckland on Saturday and um, Wellington on Sunday. Wellington, it's the Civic Square um, on Sunday around midday during Cuba Dupa in Auckland. I have the feeling like it's like in the Rotunda in Albert Park or somewhere like that. Um, okay. Which is like interesting because it's like these are like public venues. Like I wonder if it's like, yeah, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I kind of feel like they are like, I'm not sure if they're trying to you know, like stage something visible. So, you know, like for their optics or whatever like that, or if they were just like maybe had, had trouble getting an indoor venue. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, like, um, she does she does the thing in Hyde Park, and that's like a public venue outdoors. Oh, really? She just knows that she's going to be protected by the cops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a similar kind of thing. But um, yeah, so uh, a bunch of people have already started organizing kind of like counter protests and stuff. And um, a lot of our, like, I would say relatively mainstream um, politicians, like Green Party MPs and stuff, have already spoken out about it. A lot of the mm-hmm. media coverage has been pretty good at That's pretty cool. framing them as you know like these people are distinctively you know like anti-trans like there was like yeah even um radio nz put up a thing in the headline calling them a conspiracy anti-trans conspiracy yeah. group you know which i think is good um and there have been I... go on sorry i was gonna say and there have been other kind of like um stories in the news relatively recently and used in the last couple of weeks about you know like there was a guy who is like a fucking you know like a turf stooge or whatever like that that got um he got a speaking gig at like a un woman event or whatever like oh my that. god and yeah so and he's he's a he's a fuckwit i have a bit of history with him i love that but, their um, banner is like let women speak and they just keep on like getting men yeah, to speak yeah, yeah. at women's events like that was the thing right and um but so a bunch of the other speakers were like okay well we're not going to speak then and so they had to you know well, they had to make a statement about it or whatever. It was pretty, pretty, oh my pretty, God. pretty weak. But um, but the like I think that kind of like is, you know, like the way that um I think, yeah, like I think the way that I've seen it um framed by the media, a lot of these things is as better than it has been in the past now. I think like, you know, um the conversations around these things are getting better. And well, mm. down here they are. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we can say the same <laughs> for Turf Island, but um yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, it, it's good to see yeah, Radio NZ and yeah. a bunch of others covering this. Yeah. And um, even like um, some of them, I've seen some of the stories tie it into um, the stuff about conversion therapy because we have, that's been going through Parliament uh, down wow. here at the moment, back and forth a little bit about like banning conversion therapy. And we have like a lot of mainstream, like center-right politicians that um uh, in favor of conversion therapy. Jesus so it's Christ. kind of been like a thing where it's like a lot of, you know, like Greens MPs and stuff are pushing back on it and being like, this is what this is, you know, like this is yeah. what, yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so. That's um, cool. I mean, like I, I've definitely seen before, like fascists who try to tour internationally having trouble with New Zealand. One of my favorite New Zealand media clips, I don't remember the show, but like, it's like Stephen, uh, sorry, Stefan Molyneux, because he was doing a oh, tour yeah. with, um, Lawrence Southern, with Lauren yeah. Southern, right? Yep. And like they, so they then they couldn't get any of their like their their places booked in New Zealand because like they, they just like got refused basically. And then they went onto a, like a, a morning chat show, and the guy was just like, <laughs> one of my favorite clips. Like the guy is just like, you're just going on a rant. Like why? What? What do you? What, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I asked you a question about something else, and you're just going on a rant about 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 yeah, Muslims. Yeah, yeah. And and, yeah, yeah. and Stefan Molyneux looks like so deflated because there's nothing, no way he can go from that. No one that. was fine as shit. Yeah. Um, was, um, anyway, yeah. Uh, should I carry on with the? Oh, sorry. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say, um, yeah, the, the Southern and Molyneux thing was, I think, was like, um, it was really good because um, there was like a a big protest stage that was like a huge, like it was gigantic, it was super positive, and there were like, you know, there was um, it just like it was people from literally like kind of like all walks of life that yeah. didn't necessarily know the specifics of, you know, Peter and, uh, oh, um, and Lauren Southern and stuff like didn't know what they were doing and stuff, but like were happy to stand in like solidarity or whatever. And then, you know, obviously people found out a little bit later because they were quite niche figures and then yeah. 
and this kind of thing blew up. But um, uh, yeah, it was funny though, because they kind of were like, they were framing it as this gigantic conspiracy against them. Like they were, when they got interviewed on the news, they were like, oh yeah, we had this venue lined up and then like, you know, something happened. Like this guy just flipped on us. He just had like, you know, like <laughs> someone, someone had got to him and, you know, people, people with, pa- you know, like power and all this kind of stuff. But the true story is that guy is my friend's dad and um, he runs the venue, the power station where they were booked. And, um, and she's switched onto it, you know, she's a part of my kind of social nice, circle, nice, nice. like that. She saw that the venue had booked it and they'd booked it under uh, a different name. Like they have like a name that they book things Jesus. under. And they just said that it was like a philosophy event. And so when oh, my friend God. saw that it was there, she called up her dad. And she was like, oh, dad, these guys are, you know, these guys are racist or whatever. And he was like, oh, fuck that then. And just called him up and was like, nah, you know, we know who you are. Fuck <laughs> off. So it's like no greater conspiracy oh, or whatever. It's just like normal people That's just so being funny. like, actually, we don't want your shit here, you know? And they knew that, so, right? Yeah. Otherwise they wouldn't have booked it under a fake name and like lied about what they were doing. Um, right. Back on uh rest of this posy parker stuff um on saturday uh parker's uh private security were accused of manhandling a woman prote- protesting the event with a video shared on twitter showing her being held by the throat after she grabbed the mic um posy parker actually tweeted this out saying like comparing her private security to agent smith which is like i mean there's, there's okay layers, there's layers <laughs> yeah, to yeah. that shit but like wow. you know no, I yeah, I I actually won't go into dissecting them, but like ho- holy shit. Uh the one I will point out, I've said this just before, right? Is their banner says let women speak. There's literally a woman trying to speak into the microphone and a, a much bigger dude coming in the front like grabbing her by the throat. It's like, yeah, okay. Cool, let women speak. Normal. Yeah. The Victoria Police faced accusations of assaulting queer protesters by social media users, uh, quote, well after Posey Parker left. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it looks like it's been atrocious. Also, like, as I said before, the, the you know, there the were the neo-Nazis there. Uh, one of them is literally just is the, uh, what's he called? He's called Nathan Bull, right? And he's he's the son of of a uh, Victoria Police officer. So, like, he, he he's fully confident he's not going to yeah, face any repercussions well. for being yeah, an yeah, open yeah. Nazi. Um like and very openly Nazi as well. Oh, like yeah. he was one oh, of yeah. the few people just not wearing a mask. Exactly. Yeah. There were I think two guys in the lineup who just didn't wear masks at all. Um the Victoria oh what I read that one. Yeah. A Victoria's police spokesperson told Star Observer that three people were arrested. Um a 22-year-old point coke man was arrested for allegedly putting a female officer in a headlock and taking her to the ground. Um nah. I'm just gonna say what what do you what what? What the fuck are you talking about? Putting putting an officer in a headlock? Uh, no one's that cool. No, I misspoke. I meant to say a different thing. A 23-year-old Thunberg woman was also arrested for allegedly slapping a police officer on the neck. Uh, basically, uh, but both are expected to be charged with numerous offenses, including uh, assaulting police. Uh, fuck off. Uh, this is... I think on the neck is kind of funny as well. Just like, oh, What's yeah, really funny right about... The cops is that they will say oh cops should really be a bit harder than that do you know what i mean if yeah, yeah. Like, a, like, a, like you know if, if you were to like say like oh so like you're not that good at defending yourself they'd say no no no, we're really really good at that but then as soon as you get like a little slap on, the, a neck, little slap like, on the neck yeah, yeah it's, it's, thing, like, it's like when your job is to go in there and beat people up like you've come to this you've come to this yeah. nazi rally to beat up normal <laughs> working class people and you can't take a little slap on the neck 
it's Jesus like it's, as soon as they realized that they can just like arrest people for like touching them in any way they they right. just became such pussies it's like yeah um at the also like it's just also like the 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 insane gaslighting of cops like they really are bastards i so i um uh the fuck was it at, at one of the posy parker rallies like one of the turfs like tried to hit my friend with her umbrella like multiple times um and like was as in the turf was there my friend was there and there was a cop just right in the middle between them and the cops just like just like seeing seeing everything that she's doing just like being like well well but like what i mean about the gaslighting one one cop came up to me at one point because i like i i said this before that i was chant leading um they they cops can't imagine things without uh, a strict rigid hierarchy because they've got cop brain so like because I'd been doing some some like call and response stuff, a cop kept came to try and talk to me. Oh yeah, yeah. Like you're the leader here, right? Exactly. Uh, he came up and was like, "I'd like, uh, can I ask you some questions, sir?" And I was like, "I'm um I'm I'm a woman. I uh, don't appreciate being called sir. Thanks." And he went, "I didn't say sir. Can I ask some questions?" And I was just like, <laughs> "I was just like, why would you just lie like that? Like, how are you just like you can just say oops, sorry, you know? Like, it's not even a big deal. Anyway, um, a third person, a 22 year old from Preston, was also arrested for unlawful assault. Police will review CCTV, body worn cameras, and social media footage to determine whether any further offenses occurred. Um, as I've already said, the uh, next Posey Parker demo, but it won't be Posey Parker; it's just the turfs. Uh, will be Hyde Park on London. Oh, sorry, the 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 next UK one will be in Hyde Park, uh, London, on Sunday, twenty sixth of March. And like I said, because Posey Parker won't be there, I do think it's a like a, a good one to massively outnumber them because it will just make them all fucking miserable. Uh, Tim, again, what are the details of the New Zealand one? So um, she's going to be in Auckland on Saturday and Wellington on Sunday. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I couldn't see the address in these stories, none of them saying for the Auckland one, but I feel I know that it's in a rotunda in a park okay. somewhere. Um, I, I did see it on Twitter, um, but I know that um, there is, wait, there is a group on Twitter that are organizing a kind of pushback. Um, I, th- yeah. I think it is, I'll just find it right now and see Trans this- Liberation Alliance, um, nice. which is at Trans Liberated on Twitter. And um, so Albert Park Band Rotunda. Yeah. So it is the cool. place that I mentioned before. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, check I'll, that um, out if you're around. I'll also say, I mean, this depends on like, other people who are organizing and what you're what you're planning to do but like um when when they do this shit uh from experience with the Hyde Park thing they they're just a bunch of like content grifters like they're all just tough grifters who are all bringing their cameras and just interviewing each other in a circle it's really sad um and the most effective shit is just to make a ton of ton of noise so like i would recommend if any, again if there are like people in new zealand watching who i think you're going to this like uh yeah just bring stuff that can make a ton of noise and literally their entire reason for being there is just like immediately sunk because they can't they won't be able to record anything yeah yeah that's um that's absolutely yeah. what they uh trans liberation alliance have said in their little statement as well they say bring umbrella signs banners and the loudest most obnoxious noise makers you can get yeah your hands on. <laughs> <laughs> so, um yeah yeah so that's cool that's um yeah 11 a.m this this saturday and then wellington um on sunday um yeah sweet so hopefully hopefully that can uh send them back home with their tails (laughs) between their legs um do you want to tell us about Bandcamp? 
Yeah, sweet. So um, the Bandcamp workers have formed a union, uh, which is interesting because so Bandcamp has always kind of pushed itself in its branding as like, you know, like there's like a bunch of other kind of similar services and other yeah streaming services, um, music purchase kind of services, whatever. Bandcamp has always kind of pushed themselves as like the fair and ethical one, you know, like uh, trying to kind of like, I guess, um you know, like kind of put that as their point of difference that they're, they're, you know, great for the people that put their music on there. And they, yeah, they have like a bunch of things that like some people reckon that they, you know, they are better. Other people prefer other different services or whatever, but that's kind of the way that they describe themselves as, as the kind of ethical option. But um, yeah, not all of their staff feel that way, especially after, um, last year, the entire company, the platform, got bought by Epic Games, which is the big oh, okay. multi-billion company that, you know, makes Fortnite, all the Unreal Engine stuff, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, Bandcamp United is the name of the union. They got a super majority of workers in favor. Um, so, yeah, so they're... Um, they're, I think they're in the middle of getting kind of authorized and certified as a union and stuff at the moment. But... Um, yeah, it's uh, they're being supported by the Office and Professional Employers International Union and the um and their their Tech Workers Union Local 1010 Division. So you know this is like a big thing, whatever. Um, and which are the same people that supported like the Kickstarter Union and a bunch of others. So um yeah, the this union is engineers, writers, project managers, all the support staff, and um, yeah, designers from behind the scenes that keep the service running you know like it's not just um you know like it's like just the operation upkeep and logistics of the service is like a whole side of the business you know it's not just like you put the music you put the music on the website and then the people click play and they listen to the music and everyone's happy there's like these are the people that make that all happen um and uh yeah so they're hoping they're, they're hoping to kind of address a bunch of stuff that like long-term issues that they say have gotten worse under ownership by Epic. Um, and it is really good because they, um, they, their statement I think is very, um, it's focused on um, making things better for everyone, but also making it more equal. Um, cool. So um, yeah, you know, like I've seen, I've seen before people try and unionize and stuff like that, or just be specific departments or whatever, but they've really tried to be like, no, this is like, you know, like this is for everyone. There are a lot, they, I said in the same, there's a lot of like marginalized people on the team and the lower rungs. And they're like, we want pay equality across the entire business, not just, you know, like the, even the people that are doing like the the lower end of the jobs or whatever they all deserve to be getting paid well as well hell yeah so, um, yeah, yeah yeah so um yeah they said one of their primary goals is to create a more equitable and economically stable status quo um so yeah my top priority is the wage disparity across our department says ramirez Aral. so he's the um the, the spokesperson for the union as a member of the support team, the lowest paid team, I feel financial uncertainty and inequity grow every year. I'm committed to bargaining for guaranteed pay increases that match the rising cost of living so that no matter what team we're on, we are secure in our futures. That's interesting. I didn't actually notice that detail earlier. Is that um, so the spokesperson for the union is a member of the lowest paid team in 
you know, in uh, working for Bandcamp, which I think is, um, yeah, I think is pretty, um, it's pretty interesting. He says, um, we need a union at Bandcamp to ensure that all employees can ask management tough questions without fear of retribution. Um, so where is it? Um, the integrity of workers who build Bandcamp is a crucial aspect of the company's ability to uphold its values. Bandcamp's core mission is best protected via collective action and workers oh, having yes. a seat at the table. It's important to us that Bandcamp's artist-first mission continues with clarity and accountability with all resources afforded to us distributed in the fairest and most transparent way possible. We feel a responsibility to those who are most marginalized to use our platform with integrity and to provide reasonable protections and accommodations for those at risk. And uh, yeah, when reached for comment, Bandcamp CEO Ethan Diamond said, we are aware that some Bandcamp employees are seeking to organize a union and are reviewing the petition to understand their concerns. I find it like especially funny that the CEO is literally called Ethan Diamond. So, you know, it's like, yeah, it's very, um, very on the nose, very solid. Sorry for bothering <laughs> Wealthy you. McRich Sorry, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was, um, there was a guy in, um, there was a, oh, what was, um, he was in um, the newspaper recently, oh, a little, little while back, something about, um, you know, like one of those, one of those puff pieces about like this, like a self-made young dude buying houses oh or starting a business or something like that. And his name was like something like Topher McRichwhite. <laughs> it was just like, what? that is what? the best, that is the best like rich white person name ever. <laughs> combo of Topher McRich White is like holy oh, shit. It was something like, like that anyway, but um fucking brilliant. Like if you if you put uh, that in a movie, people would be like, it's too on the nose. Yeah, conservatives are like trans people have no personality except being trans. Meanwhile, conservatives like <laughs> <laughs> McRich White. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so um Mule, what's happening over in Georgia? Well, uh, we covered this <clears throat> very briefly last week. This was about um, the pro-Kremlin government in Georgia, not the state in uh, the US, but in uh, uh, in Europe, uh, just just to the south of uh, Russia, just kind of near uh, Turkey and and that kind of that kind of area is where it's all at. Um, but yeah, basically the pro-Kremlin. Uh, government in in Georgia who were basically uh you know trying to pass laws that basically favor uh Russia's intent with Georgia you know if if you're wondering what Russia's intent with Georgia is uh we're thinking that they they want to annex it basically so similar to Ukraine essentially um we 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 think this because of things that we've seen uh for example the uh, uh Crimea branch of of Russia Russia's government basically tweeting uh, a threat of annexation basically yeah, of Georgia yeah. over this uh, uh literally a week ago um but yeah they they the, the government there have basically been trying to pass a law um, that basically would mean that NGOs and media uh, will be targeted if they take over 20% of funding from abroad. Uh, and of course, uh, the kind of organizations that, you know, would be beneficial to the Georgian people, Georgian working class people, queer Georgian people, uh, etc. Would, would obviously, you know, that they're, they're controlled quite heavily uh, in Georgia. So, uh, you know, this would be the majority of, of charities in, in Georgia and stuff. Um, so basically, Georgia applied for candidate status of the European Union uh, pretty quick smart after uh, uh, Ukraine got invaded, as as did Moldova, uh, who have similar fears of invasion from uh, from Russia, too. 
Um, but the the thing is, is that even though this law was uh, said to be passed, the the one about the twenty percent of funding for uh, uh, NGOs and stuff being basically, uh, you're basically your NGO would be declared. Uh, when when it says targeted, it would be declared a foreign agent, basically, mm. um, which is, of course, like, you know, it's fascist speak, isn't it? You're a quote unquote foreign agent. You know, you're an influence coming in. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like the, like the trans lobby. It's like the fucking, you know, the, the I guess the, the liberal allegiance, deep state kind of stuff, you know, mm. this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but that law has now actually been dropped due to the protests that kicked off as soon as uh, this kind of happened. And uh, we were reporting last week that Georgian protesters were like launching Molotovs at the cops and stuff like that. Just uh, absolutely uh, horrible things. We would never agree with here on Red Planet. Just terrible stuff. So true. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, it's it's it, because of the the mass outrage they've actually dropped this. Um, which is interesting because, of course, you know, Russia isn't, isn't a, a country to back down that easy as we've seen, uh, with its attempt to invade Ukraine, even sustaining extremely heavy losses, uh, in the war with Ukraine. They are still sort of dead set on, uh, invasion. You know, yeah. it's going to be interesting to see, uh, where they actually come back. Uh, to this kind of uh, fight in Georgia. But I guess they have different priorities at the moment, which is good for the Georgian people. Uh, apparently, there were anti-EU protesters, and there is a bit of uh, discourse amongst people in Georgia as to whether they're actually real or not. Um, in an apparent outburst of anti-European feeling, a crowd, mostly made up of older men, uh, tore, I, I like that specification, tore down an EU flag handing outside the building in Tbilisi, which is the capital of Georgia, and turned it into ashes. Um, we openly state that there is a very numerous segment in Georgia's society that is against the idea of European integration, said Shota Martinenko. They just can't all be here today. Um, no, he didn't say that last part. That's something I made up. I added that <laughs> at the end because there's only about five of them. Um but yeah, uh, uh, this is simply not true. Support for joining the bloc among Georgia's uh, 4 million citizens is as high as 81%, according to a 2022 poll. Um, you know, this this is just another kind of, um, you know, there were, there were these kinds of things going on in Ukraine around the invasion where they were saying like, um, oh, there's loads of Ukrainians who want to be part of Russia. And it's like, no, they don't. Like, what are you talking about? This is so absurd. Like, you know, just just no truth to that whatsoever. Um, so yeah, it is it is incredibly interesting. Um, this has been called by Euronews an unruly demo, reportedly yeah. unimpeded by the scant police presence. Interesting that, isn't it, chat? I think that we can pretty safely say that, like, if there's a large police presence um at a at a pro something rally um you know then the pro thing is probably good right you know we, we see this at like pro queer protests pro trans protests pro migrant protests there's always a ton, ton of cops there isn't there but when it's anti uh you know trans anti migrant and you know in this case anti eu um you know it's 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 quite obvious you know there's no cops there that's uh, that's the bad thing yeah um, obviously, this isn't something <laughs> I'm, I'm being a little bit like hyperbolic here, but um, yeah, it's it's quite obvious here that like the majority of, of Georgia are pro EU. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, it's 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 really interesting and um, it's really uh, good that, 
you know, they, the, 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 the Georgian government have dropped this law. We'll see if anything develops in the coming weeks. But, uh, you know, this is a yeah. win. This is a win. I don't, so I don't know about, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know if the protest like against the EU uh, was staged and I don't know, uh, like I have um, mixed feelings about people who are jumping on really quickly to say it was definitely, definitely staged. Cause also it was a much, much smaller protest. So it's like, you know, all sorts of people think all sorts of things. But um, d- having said that, to now add immediately to the uh, to the conspiracy theory, um, there is a thing called the Grasimov Doctrine, which uh, was invented by Valery Gerasimov, uh, who is a Russian general, and uh, it basically says that there should be like a four to one ratio of non-military actions to military actions when Russia is trying to invade somewhere. So right. like they that they need to prep the ground, that they need to like do sanctions. They need to delegitimize the government of the place. And what one crucial thing is they need to like create an impression politically that there are like people who really want to be Russian in that place who are like, yeah, we, we, we are actually Russians and we need to be liberated. Um, which was like hugely what they did uh, in Crimea before the uh, original invasion there. So like, you know, again, yeah. again, uh, just like there, there are actually just far right dickheads everywhere, and like I don't, I'm not saying that this protest is necessarily like a a planned op or something, but um, it would actually be in line uh, if it were with like Russia's strategy of build up yeah. to invasion. Yeah, just like I said about the the Ukraine stuff, like they did all sorts of stuff where they were trying to say that the Ukraine, um, there was like I think they tried to to make it out that there was a specific region, and it just yeah. so happened to be the region that they really wanted to annex, which I think is the Donetsk region region because that gives them access to the uh, and Luhansk, or, yeah. In, in, yeah, 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 and. Um, yeah, I think I think they were saying that like in that region there was an overwhelming amount of Russian support, and yeah. it's like okay, couple of things. If you've been in that region covertly doing you know um, subterfuge for the state to try and amass a support of Russia, then yes, possibly you might have uh, you know managed to to convince a bunch of people in Ukraine that they were better under the Russian government than they are under the uh, Ukrainian government, and also you know yeah you probably can just lie about that if you want as well. Yeah, um, I and, mean. And- yeah, Russian propaganda is absolutely like off the charts. Like the yes. the way that they they do like the news is often presented like not just directly as news, but like with panel shows where they like have everyone's basically following like a scripted debate, and they just right. like have like five kind of all ultimately pro-Russian positions that are seemingly different so they can have a conversation to kind of dictate talking points to people. Um, In line with this Georgia stuff, and you mentioned about Moldova as well, like um, I'm pretty sure that they, that Russian TV this week was like reporting on protests in Moldova claiming that they were um, pro-Russian protests and like using footage of protests and claiming that they were for like for people who wanted to join Russia. Uh, and they just were, were completely unrelated and, and not at all. Yeah, um, no, this is yeah the 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 the, the protests uh, this week, I believe. Um, oh yeah, I think this this was the other week. This was twelve. Oh no, this was this week, twelfth of March. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, police in Moldova have detained more than fifty people as thousand gathers gathered to protest um, uh, President Maya Sandu. So yeah, it's, right. it's an anti anti government protest. Yeah, um, yeah. So. Yeah. That was that. But um, that is the end of the um, typical news segment. But we're doing an expanded news <laughs> segment this week with our dear, beautiful, sweet Sophie. She has uh, worked her little tush off this week trying to get 
exactly what this is about and i don't know what it's about which is why i'm saying it like this so <laughs> tell us about yeah. uh, the economy crypto I... <laughs> banks all that nonsense okay okay you're smart i not. i've been trying i've been trying for a couple of hours to make myself an uh, an economics expert so we'll see how that's gone uh, i need to tell you about the silicon valley bank collapse um with, this was actually last week that we if we were reporting on on svb specifically it would have been last week but um it does it's starting to have like bigger implications and so this is why i wanted to bring it into the news this week because it might be one we want to watch uh as it unfolds um so last week silicon valley bank uh fell apart basically what's interesting about silicon valley bank is that it's a it, it, it trades in crypto right um so it's it's significant because of its uh access to the crypto space it's also significant because its collapse is the second biggest bank collapse in u.s history so that's kind of a big deal <laughs> um and and uh if i can hopefully explain this uh it might lead to crypto imploding entirely we'll see that would be funny we'll anyway. yeah yeah uh, i feel like there's been like there's there's been quite a few points where it's like it's almost you know it's like yeah and stuff hopefully this is the yeah. one that pushes it over the edge well it's like uh, so what's interesting about that is that like um the more recent ones where it's teetering, uh, we can actually see that it, it's not like, oh, it's come close and it's managed to carry on going because it's so resilient. Actually, there's a chain of the, the each of those events has led to the next one. So if people are familiar with Sam Bankman-Fried, the uh, advocate for effective altruism, who um, had his like FTX uh, uh, crypto trading platform, the, um, and, like, a bunch of celebrities promoted it. Polycule situation. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, this yeah. whole thing. Um, so FTX um, basically has uh, gone bankrupt and um, uh, Bankman-Fried and a bunch of other people involved with FTX are being investigated for massive fraud, including like attempts to defraud the US government, uh, which is like always a smart move, um, trying to defraud the US government. Um so like that is one of the that's one of the more recent examples of where people are like oh shit what's going to happen to crypto and like this is actually kind of a consequence of that so it's really like it's really the same snowball gathering gathering steam getting bigger <laughs> might turn into an avalanche we'll see um but specifically silicon valley bank let's talk about that for a second um so in 2018 uh trump our favorite guy there's a dang Cheeto in the white house and so on and so on um rolled back um <laughs> protections from Dodd-Frank. So Dodd-Frank were protections that were put in after the 2000, 2008 financial crisis to make it so that the 2008 financial crisis would be less likely to happen. Um, of course, if you wanted it to not happen, you would need communism. But um, they, 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 they decided some, to use some liberal capitalist laws instead. And um, specifically, that one of the parts of the protections in the Dodd-Frank um, bill uh were to make sure that all banks had certain credit assurances like they have to prove they're stable enough to keep operating right seems kind of legit uh trump called this a job killer and he just he just fucking wiped it out um what something quite funny is that the the ceo of silicon valley bank testified to i think the senate or congress uh when they were doing this rollback and testified that like, it would really help mid-sized banks like his one uh if they remove this if they remove this protection mid-sized banks. It, yeah, yeah. yeah small mom um, and pop banks yeah exactly it, it's <laughs> like it's like 200 it's like a 200 billion dollar bank as well it's like oh mid-sized anyway um 
So uh, yeah, so th that was that's kind of setting the groundwork. Um, in, for the last year, Silicon Valley Bank has not had a uh, a risk officer. So a bank's supposed to have a, a CRO, a, a chief risk officer, who looks for exactly this kind of thing to stop like down the line, are we going to wind up fucking collapsing? Because like the entire the entire financial industry is is speculative value, right? It's all like if people feel confident about it, it has more value. That's the whole entire game. So like you need to think like twenty steps ahead. You need to have someone whose whole job it is to make sure you don't take any risks that will make it look like you might go insolvent because if that happens, everyone will pull their money and you will go insolvent, right? So they actually haven't had a risk officer for the last year. It turns out that back in April 2022, their risk officer just like kind of stopped doing the job, just, well, just wasn't doing it anymore, uh, which like... In many ways based, I support that. I support quiet quitting. Uh, but she properly like left the bank in October and they haven't actually replaced her since. So um, anyway, um, then enter Sam, Sam Bankman-Fried, right? Um, and the, the whole FTX fraud thing. It seems that Silicon Valley Bank had some money wrapped up with them and and uh, and vice versa, like the, the um, Alameda Research, which is Sam Bankman-Fried's research company into how to do effective altruism which is like that's just idiotic on the face of it like you don't need to research that what the fuck are you talking about um they had like money invested at at silicon valley bank and so like when that all went under that was a bit of a, a destabilizing thing for them so it's important to note that silicon valley bank had a bunch of u.s treasury bonds i won't try and explain what u.s treasury bonds are it doesn't fucking matter. But the point is, they're pretty stable things to invest in. They generally do well, and they're pretty reliable because it's tied to the U.S. government, right? Um, and so they had a bunch of those uh, so that they could so they could generate interest for their uh, for their investors. And like the thing about interest rates, right, is that like when interest rates are going up or down, you want like you you want for your bank to do so competitively. Like if interest rates are going up, and like every other bank is offering that they, they can give more interest to people whose money is with them. Like you want to be able to do that too. Um, and interest rate rates have been going up for the last few months. So what SVB did was they sold some of their U S treasury bonds, but like at a loss because they, because they like really needed the cash after the X FTX thing. And like, that was a really like public move of clearly not having enough money and so that triggered a bank run. Everyone was like, oh, fuck, I need my money right now. So everyone right. pulled their money out and SVB collapsed. Um, so Signature Bank, which uh, is also a, a massive like crypto trading bank, um, has also collapsed. This making it the third largest collapse in US history. So like we have the second and third largest collapses, bank collapses in US history in the last two weeks. That might be significant. We'll see. This is what I mean. Like I'm saying... This is a story that might come back in the news in the next few weeks, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the so the second and third largest collapses. Um, so Signature Bank is the other one. Uh, there's a third one which, like, it was much smaller, so it doesn't rank on the same scale. Which was called Silvergate. Which um, the bank itself, like the entire bank, hasn't gone under, but their crypto their crypto bank specifically did collapse recently too, and that was to do with FTX as well. Um, but Signature Bank um has crypto had yeah, had crypto holdings as well as normal money um and they were put under the control of the federal deposit insurance corporation by the new york department of financial services so 
the FDIC or Federal Department, fucking what the fuck is this called? Federal, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Uh, basically, what they do is insure deposits, right? Like if you if you have your money in a bank and then the bank goes under, there is some amount of federal insurance. So like, just make sure you get your money back, your money back. Fuck. Um, and they're the ones who do it, but they have a limit. Like they're not they're not just going to give you absolutely everything if you've got like. 10 trillion dollars in there they don't necessarily have that so they have a limit right. for for how much money they can insure and 90 percent of the deposits in um in signature bank were way over the uh, fdic limit so yeah. like to begin normally, with just like really unsound normally a limit on a bank um for example when i used to work at the royal bank of scotland uh, the limit on that that we, you were like protected and insured for was twenty eight thousand pounds. Yeah. So imagine if you have like Whoa, a million yeah. pound <laughs> in that yeah. bank and it goes yeah. under, your money's fucked, baby. It's gone. That's like yeah. onion rings out of the fucking out of it. You know. So I think that the FDIC's limit might be higher. I believe it's something like two hundred thousand, but. 90% of these in deposits in Signature Bank were way over that because go figure, right? It's like a crypto bank. So there's so many dudes who have like some kind of shady shit going on and they're putting yeah. like all of their drug money and their like arms money dealing around, money yeah. in there. And it's like, yeah. So, um, so I'm just, um, I'm just seeing in the chat that I think the, the FCS, FCCS, which is what it is in the UK, actually mm -hmm. covers 85,000 pounds. Okay. Which so a bit closer. A bit closer. You know, it's definitely closer to a million than 28,000. Um, sure. But, but it's, 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 <laughs> but it's uh, not, it's not a million though. <laughs> no, it's not. It is, is yeah. It? No, it's not. So, um, so um, the ma the manager of Signature Bank uh, is Barney Frank. Now Frank might be ringing some bells from me just saying a second ago about Dodd Frank. Those protections that they did after the two thousand eight financial crash. That's because Barney Frank wrote that fucking bill. He should be he should be smarter than this. Um, uh -huh. wow. Signature Bank yeah. manager Barney Frank claimed that the bank was entirely financially sound and doesn't understand why the FDC um, uh, put them under management. Um, He's like the, the banana suit, like, I'm just trying to figure out who did this. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, he, um, he said that. There are some people speculating that basically, like, the executives at the bank probably lied to him about the situation, like, about the, the solvency situation, and that's why he's made that claim. It doesn't really matter why he's made the claim, but it is important that he's made the claim. Um, but actually, the bank seems to be involved in um, predatory real estate investment. Wow, that's always gone so well for American banks. I, what a good so idea. Smart. Great. Idea. Um, and as well as that, they are also obviously because they're trading in the crypto space, they're just involved in like a ton of fucking scams and illegal shit because that's most of what crypto is. So like the right, the, the, the like um, stipulations for why the Department of Financial Services might like put, put a bank under administration include like it's, it's really looks like you're doing some crimes there at your bank. And yeah, again, it's a, it's a crypto bank. So. It's, it, it kind of explains itself, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, Signature is, in fact, the subject of a class action lawsuit for fraud with, hey, FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried's uh -oh. thing again. Oh, shit, look at that. So, yeah, it really seems like um, a, a reasonable move by the, by the federal authorities. Um, and, yeah, this, this also led to a ton of people, like, pulling their money, and so the, the bank has collapsed. Yeah. Um, 
So, uh, but but because he claimed, because Barney Frank claimed that the bank was solvent, uh, this has led to a conspiracy theory, my favorite thing, in the, um, in the crypto space. So a bunch of conspiracy theorists who are into crypto or crypto dudes mm, who form a conspiracy of. theory, wh- whichever way around you prefer, um, are basically talking about Operation Choke Point 2.0. Oh, so there was God. there was this thing called Operation Choke Point a while ago, where uh, in 2013, where the U.S. government did an initiative to like investigate banks and make sure, right. because, like, because they were worried about like if you're doing criminal activities, like there's every likelihood something completely unpredictable, like unpredictable, will happen, or for that matter, the crime will get found out, everyone will get arrested, and the the the, the financial relationship will therefore like fall apart right um so banks can't be involved in a ton of crimes was the idea which i think i mean as far as liberal capitalist ideas go it seems like a pretty reasonable one um and basically that yeah they, they were investigating uh where um banks were involved specifically with like arms trading or like other things where there's a much higher chance of fraud and money laundering and because Barney Frank has said, no, the bank was completely fine, despite all the evidence to the contrary, all these crypto guys are basically saying, clearly there must be a new Operation Choke Point, Operation Choke Point <laughs> 2.0, and they're trying to shut down crypto. It's, they're all just trying to shut down. It's, all, it's, a, it's the government's trying to shut us down. Um, no, I don't think that's, uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. I, I, also, if they, uh, so, so there's an interesting thing here, which is like, Obviously, I've said this to death, right? But conspiracy theories reflect intergroup social conflicts. And like, if if they're saying that, then on some level, like we could evaluate the statement, is the US government trying to shut down crypto? No, uh, uh, capital rules the US government and capital loves crypto because it's more capital. Yeah. But also like there are some forces within like uh old money who are who who don't like the crypto space and also also like i'm saying the u.s government is like very reasonably investigating all the fucking crimes going on with crypto banks so you know kinda anyway um why 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 could this lead to to crypto imploding um so crypto requires uh, so okay uh Bitcoin is the example everyone's always familiar with, right? Uh, as a cryptocurrency, um, its value fluctuates because it's like it's a it's a stock basically. So it's like use as a currency is a fucking nightmare because in the time that you hit send to pay for your coffee, and then the t- like to the time when it arrives to to pay for the coffee, its value will have literally changed because transactions take forever as well as it fluctuating. Um, but but in terms of like moving your money in and out of the crypto space, then you need stuff that is more stable than that. Hence, stable coins. So stable coins are a thing like are basically like their value is tied to some kind of real world thing. Um, a good example of this would be US dollar coin, uh, which is basically each <laughs> coin is worth one US dollar. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, just yeah. that just yeah. completely like from the from the moment someone told me about crypto, they were like, "Yeah, we don't want that." And now they're yeah, doing yeah. that. It's it, just it uh... is directly against the original vision of crypto, but it is also necessary to make the economics of crypto right. work in of any course. way. Yeah. Um, so US. U.S. dollar coin is interesting. Uh, it it doesn't like obviously the U.S. government has you know a treasury. It has a bank account essentially. It has an amount of money that it has, and it has financial relationships. It doesn't. At the same time, a state can absolutely just print more money, um, but also they have you know an amount of money that they have. Uh, in a 
um, but the US dollar coin isn't a federal scheme in any way. It's not actually related to the US government. It's just t- it's just value is the same as a dollar. So it also has a bank account. It has a fund, right? Like it, it operates a lot like these banks I've just been describing, where they have an amount of like money deposited that they that they need to, you know, not shrink. Otherwise, they'll, they'll be in trouble. Um, and uh, and in uh, three days last week, three days this week, traders pulled three billion dollars out of U.S. dollar coin. Wow! In three days. Wow. <laughs> so absolutely catastrophic. Wow. As well as three of the real world banks that are the primary avenues to get money from the real world into crypto uh, disappearing. Uh, also the stable coin. So like the, their kind of counterpart in the crypto world could be about to go under. Um, like, there's a lot of speculation about whether they're solvent now. Like that's that's like 10% of their value just disappeared. And like uh a bunch of their like big investors, their whales to use the language, the the, the lingo, right? Uh have been like pulling their money as well because they're worried about it. Uh, which it seems pretty reasonable. But like it's it's um it 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 basically it really could be about to trigger a bank run because people will be eyeing this up and they'll be like, I need to get my money out of crypto. And the, 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 the number of avenues to get my money out of crypto are disappearing like by the day. Um, so yeah, it's entirely possible that that will disappear. And if all the avenues to get your money out of crypto do disappear, uh, all the money that's in crypto will be worth, uh, Bubkus. So that's very cool. Um, so, yeah, if you go to like r slash crypto on Reddit right now, um, yeah, there are some very funny posts. Uh, for example, <laughs> one here that I can see from five hours ago with the tag advice. Uh, having an emergency fund is one of the most important parts of investing in crypto. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm. I rarely hear people recommending this, but you definitely should because you never know what's going to happen. Oh, you um, never know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just so incredible. Yeah, there are some pretty funny posts there. I'm not going to go through all of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, some Um, of them are pretty dark. Like, they get extremely dark on those crypto subreddits anytime there's, like, a crash or anything like that. It's like, wow. Yeah, I mean, I've seen people saying that, like, if... uh, I don't think it's probably that relevant here because I don't think that our audience is super into crypto, but, like, I've seen people saying to to make sure to, like, mention, uh, like, suicide hotlines when you're, like, reporting on this kind of stuff because, honestly, like... Yeah. Um, I mean, so I, I, I guess I guess we should. I guess there is like we are growing. Like I've noticed this week that we are actually like, you know, getting a lot of views and stuff. So listen, you know, if any of you are out there, uh, sort of quote unquote leftist crypto bros, um, you know, let this fucking radicalize you. That's that's the only advice that we could say. Yeah. Look, capital to the left. To be clear. Uh, yeah. radicalization <laughs> to, the, to the left to the left only. yeah yeah, like, yeah, the yeah. Left. i yeah, mean it's... like things events like this are uh, symptoms of a greater economic system whose yeah. problems can only be recon- reconciled from the left um you know like <laughs> leaning into the right is only um you know it's 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 leaning yeah. into the shit that did this and well, yeah you know giving it yeah, more opportunities fu- to do funny, so to you and other people it's funny you should say that because what if i'd prepared a segment of my notes that's uh, about how how true that is and the economic mechanisms by which it happens oh, okay oh, cool wow. look at that wow so <laughs> uh, 
So uh, in 2008, the failure of IndyMac on July, uh, July 11th was the largest bank collapse in US history until the knock-on effects of it caused bigger collapses to happen. So why do, like, why do banks going under cause other banks to go under? Well, the long and the short of it is um, capitalism needs to always make more money to keep going, right? And like people have their money invested in it. Like, well, yeah, so people, fucking rich people, uh, have their money invested in banks. And then if they're panicking about, about their, their money being safe, uh, they don't necessarily want to just take it out of there and then put it into another bank. In fact, they'll be, they'll be worried about, uh, about the possibility of a broader downturn, especially as more and more of it happens. And then this dynamic of the bank run, people taking their money out, right, causes banks to go under. So it's, um, it, it is possible that all of this will not just have the very funny effect of crypto imploding but this could like result in 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 something really extreme happening in the real world um again let this radicalize you to the left uh i will say uh goldman sachs has raised its prediction for a recess recession in the next year to 35 percent partly as a result of lending drops for regional banks um uh i i found this quite funny um on Thursday, Republican House Financial Services Chairman pa- Patrick McHenry said people should should hold off on assigning blame for the collapse of, uh, of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature while Congress and watchdogs investigate. When people jump to these conclusions at this stage of the game, a week in on this really stressed moment for our banking system, it's unhelpful and quite politically hacky. Um, uh, Patrick McHenry, uh, fuck you. Uh, the, the problem is capitalism. Um, it's really as simple as that. And the, the only reason that you're saying don't jump to any conclusions is because you have a system that relies on people being like confident in the system. It, like the, it, it has monetary value if people like it and think it's going well. That's a terrible fucking system. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so that's, um, yeah, that's, that's one to keep an eye on. We'll see. It could, it, it could be nothing next week. Uh, it could mm. be. It could be, you know, uh, U.S. dollar coin, you know, mints a bunch more coins, or like gets more investment from 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 whales, or uh, yeah. you know, and it, it could be that the 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 like that some of these banks also get bailouts. It could it could be nothing next week. It mm. could also be the start of a chain reaction, and we'll we'll see basically. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, if if astrologists um, are right then um, it is going to be a chain reaction because all my girlfriend has been doing recently is telling me about how it's the age of Aquarius and Pluto's going into it. and this. Oh, is- <laughs> not Aquarius. <laughs> not Aquarius, oh no. Yeah, um, not necessarily a bad thing. Um, she said that the last time that this happened, it was the... Uh, she's gonna kill me if I get this wrong. It was the <laughs> 2008 financial crisis. Oh, I think. shit. Um, yeah, so interesting. Um you know yeah that's that's that basically <laughs> but we do live in a system we do we do have this fucking global economy that relies on boom and bust and bust is just right. like a normal part of it uh only the only the government which again is ruled by capital will never uh choose the sensible option and bail out oh, yeah. the working class they will always bail out the richest so yeah if this does have uh really far-reaching knock-on effects it's gonna hurt a lot of people and it's also gonna be a big moment for people to look to the left um yeah yeah yeah. i think Um, i think it's good um potentially that if if that does happen at this moment in time specifically there is a lot of 
union action going on, especially totally. in the yeah. UK. Um, you know, the US, not so much, uh, but definitely other parts of the world. Oh, there's tons of union stuff going on in the US. Yeah, I guess there is. I guess there is. I guess mm. it just seems to me that... I will say this. The far right will be, like... Uh, massively kneecapped by uh, by any any crypto implosion. Like yeah, a ton yeah. of the the biggest like financial um, uh, assets that like the far right have are in yeah. crypto. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Doesn't like Alex Jones have like a bunch of money in crypto or something? Every time that Alex Jones gets like bailed out from his like um, his like uh, legal penalties penalties for the Sandy Hook case, it's literally his viewers sending him like a million dollars in crypto. Yeah. So like. <laughs> Yeah, it's libertarians, right? It's like, fucking libertarians. Yeah. They love that shit. It's um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's um, all of the news. Um, Tim, you are uh, our resident dual power expert. I've just nominated you that because because you have a video about dual power. Why don't you tell us what dual power is? Oh shit. Okay. Um. Cool. So, what is dual power? What's a good way to briefly sum it up before we get into things? Um. I mean, it can be. It means there's the concept, like the political concept that we use these days, and then there is the kind of um a reference to a specific time during yeah. Russian history and stuff. <laughs> um. Do a voice boy. Yeah. 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 It's um. So. I would say it's probably, we'll get to the history stuff later. The concept as it is, is basically, um, so dual as in, you know, D-U-A-L. So two, two powers, two powers competing or, um, you know, like existing together. So if we think of the, the first power being the existing power structures, so we could say like, capitalist hegemony or you know the settler state or whatever and then so this is the uh the oppressive state that exists as it is and then so this other power that we want to be the dual power the competing power is kind of like the the revolutionary kind of like liberation power so this is kind of like you know like the burgeoning communist kind of you know or whatever anarchist the proletariat yeah, yeah. So this is basically, um, so dual power is like the idea of like building up power through kind of like, um, you know, there's, I mean, there's a bunch of different ideas about how we do this through mutual aid networks, through um, building a revolutionary party that has like entrenched power within the working class. All these different things build up kind of like a power structure that is an alternative to the existing one, to the capitalist structures that take people's kind of like reliance off of that structure and into kind of like, um, if you think of it as like all these different ways that we can like slowly kind of, I guess, liberate people from reliance on capitalism. And uh, the point is to get the, the competing power to the point where it becomes as powerful or as not necessarily as powerful but as um as ingrained and as trustworthy and as the existing one so that people can just kind of jump ship and be like actually we could you know we could have a better life with this so it's like yeah it's a process of um yeah it's not like uh, we will get into this later and stuff, but I mean, it's like, it's not necessarily about building a state from the ground up or anything like that. It's about, um, 
yeah, I guess it's like, it's about building the people power and the networks that are necessary to lay the groundwork for any kind of like, I guess, long-term revolutionary kind of um, situation. That's, that's, that's probably still a bit of a complex <laughs> explanation, but I think, I don't know. Tim, we were, we were expecting you to just run for the next half an hour and a half and just tell us all oh. about it in every aspect. Should we just, um, I, can't believe you I made, I made a YouTube video about it. We can just put that on loop. Let's just, let's loop. just watch your YouTube video that is, I believe, 15 minutes long. Let's just watch that nine times. And yeah, 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 there we go. Then everyone um, will get it. You know, a lot of people have different ideas about the best way to build dual power and all this kind of stuff like that. So there might be stuff where it's like, you know, like your questions might be kind of bigger questions that are kind of like part of a larger debate you know so there's not necessarily like we can't necessarily give definitive answers on everything or whatever um and a lot of the times i would say also like prefacing everything is that the way that you're going to build your power in your community will be relative and um unique to your community you know um like yeah so while we can learn a lot we can learn huge amounts from examples of this happening in the world in different areas and stuff the most successful um i think the most successful people uh to you know like kind of i guess like build dual power have been responding directly to the material needs of their community but you know taking taking inspiration from other people so yeah so um so it's very hard to be like this is exactly how you do it and this is what you should do it's more like these are some concepts that you should be one way one way i might approach approach explaining it is like um there's the we have the, the ruling class which you know uses the state uh to mediate tensions in its favor right um and then you have the working class and obviously like the working class does actually have power but it doesn't hold that power, right? It doesn't wield it um, because the ruling class is exploiting it constantly. Um, if you've built dual power, then it's like this relationship changes from being vertical to being to being horizontal. Like you've got enough people who've who've dedicated themselves to whatever kind of organizing, whatever kind of power building, power structure that you, you've made. Um, and as that happens, necessarily the ruling power, the ruling class and the state, right, loses power. And so it, it's like, it's, it's not just that like the working class becomes more powerful or, or crucially like the proletariat I said earlier, because like proletariat isn't just the working class, like the working class is kind of the arrangement that the, the, the capitalists want. Right. Whereas the proletariat is the organized liberatory force of the, of the working class. Right. Um, but as, as that grows, if that reaches a certain point, um, as that grows, the state and the ruling class necessarily lose power because if because the growth of the one is is literally is directly taking power away from the other. Um, yeah, the, it, I, I kind of like to conceptualize it like you know you got you got your your vertical your hierarchical thing to begin with, right? The ruling class above the working class, and if the if the working class start to organize and start to become the proletariat or whatever structure that they're forming to to make dual power, then like the the ruling class slips down and that's when it becomes like horizontal uh as the ruling class like you know eventually yeah. uh becomes nothing <laughs> yeah and uh, i imagine yeah. maybe some people are probably like 
listening to the very smart Tim and Sophie and go, that all sounds very smart and cool, but what does it actually mean and how do we start it? Well, uh, we've been doing that the whole Red Planet, like the entire Red <laughs> Planet we've been telling you. Uh, that's kind of the point of the show. Uh, but I guess like the way that you could like break it down and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the two of you, is that like you look at things that the state is not doing and you figure out how to provide those things for people instead right? yeah with, i mean that's generally power. yeah that's generally how a lot of these things kind of start you know and um and that's why i mean you often see a lot of mutual aid networks form out of you know it's like the whole disaster capitalism thing you know like and um there was like yeah like so many groups form in times of crisis because the state isn't providing something or you know and like and this is why a lot of them also kind of like begin as you know, just small community food banks and things like this, because it's like they're identifying, um, you know, a need in a community and then kind of stepping up to fill that need. Um, and yeah, it's, I think it is sometimes, you know, they just stay as that or whatever, but I think the really good ones and the ones that um, I think are really good examples are the ones that like from the start, from the outset, they have, like they're looking at the bigger picture, you know, they're not just going, okay, we're just going to feed the people in the neighborhood. Like they're going like, okay, cool. We are, you know, like we're a revolutionary organization. We're not going to stop at our neighborhood, you know, like we have a greater goal and um, yeah, you know, and that way it's kind of, um, yeah, I feel like sometimes when it's like a single issue kind of thing, a lot of the time they don't have the longevity or sometimes they'll just kind of like flutter out after a little while. Whereas I think the most politically effective ones, the ones that um, like they they have those hard conversations right at the start. They're like, what, do, what are we doing here? What's the what's the end goal? You know, like, yeah. yeah. And then anyone who joins knows that they're joining that project, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've even seen things like, um, you know, like people doing like food bank kind of situations or like soup kitchens and stuff where they are, you know, like they're handing out like, you know, like literature and they're like having like reading groups and stuff like that, you know, where it's like, okay, cool. This free food, like, you know, this night of the week, if you come back the following night, we're just going to be hanging out. We're going to be reading. We're going to be talking about, you know, some stuff or whatever. And, um, you know, just like kind of incorporating the politics in a really, I guess, accessible manner. It's the same as what um when we had Cradle Community on here recently, they were talking about how they would have these big, they're having these meetings. And I think they got the idea from somewhere else as well, where it was like, have a big meeting, have a big communal dinner. It's free to come to, you don't have to, you know, like there's no expectation of paying or whatever like that. And they have these big, you know, political discussions and things like that. Um you know, like making the, um, making the ideology a core part of it, not just like, you know, not just like an incidental thing or whatever. Yeah. I think one of the, the best examples, um, in recent history has got to be the Black Panthers, right? Uh -huh. Because, you know, the Black Panthers did so much in the way of like thinking, okay, where are our communities being failed by the state? We don't have doctors. We don't have food for our kids. 
Um, so let's sort all that stuff stuff out. You know, what's also happening is like, you know, um, we're forming gangs and we're killing each other. Let's fucking stop that and unify and, you know, basically try and build a better life for everyone. Um, and, and, it, and it's like just things that are as, as simple as that. Right. Do you know what I mean? And again, this is, this is the, you know, the, the Black Panthers were, were basically like, um, revolutionary optimism, like manifest, like where the, the material conditions of, you know, people are so, so like, you know, working class people are just like so fucking bad um, that eventually they just go, we're not doing this anymore. We're just going to fucking do things for ourselves because yep. why the fuck should we? All of our labor creates everything, all the wealth uh, for the capitalist class. So fuck it. We're just going to, uh, you know, we're just going to, we're just going to do our own shit. And like, I think I, I, I've been trying to focus on this in my streams a lot, but just like, I, I do think like a, one of the kind of more underrated Red Planet episodes is the Gaskell Garden Project because I do think that like the 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 power of permaculture, not just like permaculture. No underrated by me, babe. I love that one. No, of course, of course. Mm. But I just think in terms of like when I was looking at views this week and like seeing, you know, I love that our, our episodes get lots and lots of views. But I do think more people should go and check out the Gaskell Garden Project one. Yeah, I actually is- really like. I I felt that like that was like such a great conversation and like. Right engaging in ways that um you know like in a maybe in a different way to some of our other episodes and stuff like yeah there's been so many things we talked about in that that i keep thinking about you know even just like walking around like the neighborhood or whatever and seeing like gardens and stuff and just like you know just like thinking about a lot of that stuff i yeah i i feel like that's one of the episodes recently that we've had that has really kind of stuck with me now um, the reason that i believe this is is because and, and i'm the same as you tim i've been like i've been walking everywhere and thinking like oh man yeah if i just had like a bunch of seeds of lovage on me right now you know i would just chuck them in the ground here and maybe they would grow and it's like i i think the reason for this is because uh it's about mother nature right like we all have a connection with the earth that i think we've lost through colonialism through you know protestant uh, uh you know religious dogma and shit like that like nobody thinks and and, and fundamentally industrialization and capitalism right and we don't mm. have that connection to mother earth anymore but mother earth freely gives food to everybody right this is a yeah. fact of life it's a fact of life if you actually walk around in nature for long enough mother nature will present you with something with which to sustain yourself yeah. for free no strings attached other than like well you know you'll you'll take a shit later on down the line and the seeds will come out and hopefully that'll you know grow somewhere else kind of thing right <laughs> um you know that's the only sort of caveat to this and i think that like if we if we start to think about dual power from the ground up literally the ground up it is food isn't it and i think that food learning how to grow your own food and not just like because here's the thing like we've been watching so many like um you know permaculture videos on my channel and the one thing that you learn is that like hang on a minute we don't have enough space for this you know, not, not everyone is going to be able to like have their own personal garden with which to sustain yeah. themselves with food the entire year round, even if they didn't have a job and, and were able to just like afford mm. this. Right. Um, so then you have to think about, okay, so we need everybody to collaborate in, in, in some way or the other and, and pool our resources together. And so that's when you start to think about like, you know, not a community garden, but potentially like, you know, a permaculture garden, like what Gaskell Garden Project have got. Mm-hmm. And then 
you start to build other things on top of that. Like I, I constantly think about this. I constantly think about, cause, cause in your video, Tim, you talk about how it's like a collaboration of unions. This is what the Soviet mm. union was. It was, it was a, a, a collection of workers councils. Um, yeah. And I constantly think about like when we spoke to Luna and Luna was talking to us about the women's union. And I think yeah. that's so powerful. And it's something that, that like could really, really be like, you know, a, a, a force to, to be reckoned with in terms of dual power, because, you know, Luna's talking about the woman's union and that goes all the way up to like the highest echelons of government. And that just makes sense, right? Because like, you know, women are 50% of the population. They literally hold up half the sky, like Mao said, um, you know, so why would they not hold so much power, you know, in terms of, um, uh, you know, a, a dual power structure. And I think alongside that as well, thinking about things like queer unions, uh, unions for indigenous people, unions for black folk, you know, these kinds of things like where we build power um, for people who just don't have power in society, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, also, I just it popped into my head a second ago, uh, speaking of identifying, you know, like um, the kind of needs of the people and addressing them and all this kind of stuff. That actually, that's um, that is how the um, paramedics came about. There was a guy. Um, he was like a doctor. I think maybe an anesthesiologist. He was like um, he was a European guy, and his um, his child died somehow. That was like super preventable. Um, oh wow! Just because you didn't get medical attention in time, so he became he started a course basically teaching people how to be what was the first paramedics but the first people to actually take them up on that was a group called freedom house who was um an african-american organization who they basically um would just deliver fruit and vegetables and stuff to needy um yeah black families around america um i can't remember exactly what city they were in wow. so there were these guys they had these little trucks and they would deliver around you know fruit and vegetables they were always on the move going around so they were like let's take the paramedic course because we're always moving through these neighborhoods and stuff and we're already part of this organization which is like you know this little kind of like food co-op situation and stuff so if someone's having an emergency we can be there really quick and that was like this is only in like the late 60s and that's they were so effective and so good that people were like, oh shit, like this, this should be a thing, you know? Right. But, um, of course. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's like these, like, and then I think the freedom house actually ended up like becoming kind of the group that were, you know, became like the first, you know, like paramedics yeah. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, like, uh, this was like a group that was like about, you know, like black liberation and kind of like pulling kind of like, um, easing the pressure on, you know, like poor black Americans economically by providing them with like free food and, you know, and it was like fruit yeah. and vegetables that, you know, were grown and stuff. So, um, yeah, I think that's like a kind of a pretty good example of, um, you know, like identifying the needs in a neighborhood. <laughs> I mean, in a, well, yeah. in, a community, in both ways, like the medical stuff and the food way, but, um, there's a really good book on it. I can't remember what it's called. Um, it's called something like, I think it's like black sirens or something like that. Maybe. Um, wow. But yeah, rocks. Really good. And, um, and that's that's kind of like how I believe, not exactly in that way, obviously, because it definitely wasn't that based, but like similar kinds of stories is like why the NHS mm. like came into existence. You know, because people were just 
I remember I remember hearing a story when Jeremy Corbyn was campaigning and it was it was a guy who was like 90 years old or something. Oh fucking hell, it was that guy that died of cancer. Oh my god, I can't remember Captain what he's Tom? talking. No, not him, not him. Someone way more base than him. Um <laughs> shit, I can't fucking remember what his name was. Um Harry Leslie Smith was his name. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah you know about this guy. Um, and he was, he did a bit of campaigning to talk about how like he was from North Yorkshire and he watched his mother die on the kitchen table in like 1940 something or other. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's like, yeah, you know, stories like that is, you know, happening in like working class areas and shit like that is why, you know, people got together and they eventually sort of like, you know, I think it was like a campaign and they eventually got through to the government and they said, yeah, this is a really good idea. We could just yeah. fucking pay for this. Um, yeah. Obviously, unfortunately, we're now seeing the result of what happens when you entrust the state, um, you know, that is corrupt, that could be corrupted. It could be, you know taken advantage of by bad actors uh in terms of like yeah they've been um, trying to kill the national health service since it was invented yeah yeah exactly. i mean it's like the privatization of any kind of public good is like yeah yeah, absolutely Um, so um i think uh we should maybe like have the next kind of section of discussion uh uh we've established what dual power is i feel like it would be productive to talk about a few different like ways that it could be constructed or and also historically have been attempted or have successfully been constructed um you already mentioned uh vanguardism you didn't mention it by name Mm -hmm. but it's the idea that like there should be a central party who are organizing the working class um but i think that um uh it's it's all too easy for people to fall into the like in my opinion very online uh, uh yeah, anarchists absolutely. versus marxists thing and think that that's the only two ways that any, anything ever splits typically within the dual power discussions there is that kind of like anarchist versus like yeah you know like a marxist leninist kind of split where it's like okay the marxist leninist is like we have to build this power we have to get entrenched with the workers or whatever yeah. whereas like I'd say typically the anarchist um discussion of dual power is like quite broad um you know, like it's, it, I mean, it can it encompasses a lot more kind of stuff where it's like, I mean, maybe we can actually get. Kind yeah. Of well, so I, I mean, I'm, but yeah, I'm an anarchist, so I would advocate for an acephalous dual power, which is based on like uh, that there isn't a Vanguard party who could like be easily taken out by the state is one of the main weaknesses that I, as I see it, but I don't like, I advocate for that within the organizing that I'm involved with and what I want. But I also think that like Vanguardism could genuinely be really useful to a bunch of countries that are imperial subjects, right? Like to, mm. to countries that are in the imperial periphery to throw off the shackles of imperialism because like there is, because, because vanguardism is actually quite good uh, as an organizing strategy when it comes to like there being, obviously there's not a single issue when you're talking about like a communist revolution, yeah. but in a sense there, there can be for like countries in the imperial periphery who want to end the imperialist relationship with the imperial core. Right. And so in that regard, like a Vanguard party who are like, our thing is we're going to bring together everyone to stop imperialism. Like that, I, in my opinion, is a very solid strategy for. Yeah, absolutely. For I, I feel like that's why, um, that's why Marxist Leninist revolutions have been so successful in those countries particularly yeah, you know like it's, it's like you know and we, when we look at like people like thomas sankara and stuff where it's like yeah. you know like the the goal was where you know where 
we are all like the vast majority of people here belong to one group that has been subjugated by another and yeah. the that our eye is on the prize of fucking shaking off that shackle, you know? And it's exactly. like everyone exactly. united around this thing. And that's why it's so, so successful because it's like every reasonable person from that group is going to go like, yeah, like we need a, you know, that's what we need to do. Yeah. I think vanguardism for, for an approach that has, as you say, like eyes on the prize of ending imperialism, yeah, actually yeah. like the USSR kind of had a hybrid case where, uh, it was both the death of empire because the Russian empire was like falling to shit because they just had a really bad dumbass in charge. Uh, and at the same time, like they all were, were conscious of the fact they were imperial subjects across the entire Russian empire. And so like they were able to do that same thing, right? Eyes on the prize. Um, but I, I, I'm, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to direct towards actually a different discussion, which is um, um anarchist or and i'm going to contrast it with vanguardist right so as in is it acephalous or does it have a single leader point right um uh there's still a different like index of how organizing happens um and um so that index is like kind of if you are um stitching together the power that will be your dual power like what things are you aiming to hit to to do that uh, and Mule already hit on a, like a bunch of different ones uh, very eloquently. I think like um, talking about, for example, like food and 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 medical care, but also like marginalized groups. So so there are different options in this regard. So um, I, I don't know if I've defined this well enough, but like um, the 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 kinds of bases of power that you're starting to build from that's another index that isn't just like anarchist or Marxist, right? Because like a vanguard party or a, an acephalist anarchist movement. Both of these could be syndicalists, or they could all be focused on meeting people's needs, or they could all be focused on uh, different marginalized groups coming together, right? So, um, so an example would be like uh, bringing together different groups based on identity, right? Like the black, the, the like Black Panthers when they was like when when Fred Hampton was starting to stitch stuff together, he worked with the the Young Patriots and the Young Lords, uh, who were uh, the Young Patriots were like a well, 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 to begin with, like a white supremacist group who were like doing a bunch of lost cause Confederate shit. And then when he came to them, he was like, you are fucked over by the same people we are fucked over by. We should actually work together. And they kind of dropped that shit and started working with the Black Panthers. The Young Lords were a, I think, Puerto Rican um, uh, uh, like uh, community organizing uh, an action group. Uh, who like broadly got labeled as gangs through a lot of their history. And we're like, when you try to read a lot of their history, they're just called gangs, but it's you know, they were in many ways similar to the Black Panthers. And it's like, that was stitching together based on, based on identity because racial identity is like such a dividing force in American politics, right? So it's like the different political climates that you exist within will dictate some of the things that make people like consider themselves in different ways. So um, syndicalism, I'll back up again. Um, syndicalism is this idea that like, if uh if all of the rail workers, right, unionized to the absolute maximum extent, they couldn't have a revolution on their own, but they could just have really based rail workers' jobs, right? Like all the jobs for rail workers would be really, really good, but they couldn't have a communist revolution. And the same would be true for doctors and teachers and whatever, right? But if all of them were unionized to the fullest extent and also were working in a corporation with each other, then um, then you could have, uh, you know, a revolutionary force. 
And as I say, this could work either with an acephalous movement where it's just like the dual power that gets built is them all just negotiating between each other and working in collaboration. Or it could work with vanguardism where there's one central party who are like sort of coordinating them, right? And I think that, yeah, so I think, have I, have I explained this well? Like the, these different things that you kind of choose to organize around is a really interesting question and it's going to be different in place to place in my opinion. Yeah, because like you're going to have um for example if a fact like you said the rail workers like the, mm. the the end goal of a any kind of trade union i would argue is to turn that corporation into a worker-owned co-op right yeah. whereby everyone earns an equal amount of the share produced by the business we worked it out on stream i think that like there was a a, a pizza place in america that for one day a year gave um their employees 100 percent of the profit share that they would normally like that they obviously would never get um and each employee kind of work, walked away with like 700 pound a day Oh, so, wow. you know, imagine if you're just like a fucking pizza waiter, right? And you come yeah. home with 700 pound a day. So I guess the way that I sort of look at this is that like once everybody unionizes and is really, really into being in a union and doing union stuff and getting tuned into all the left-wing stuff, then yeah. they make it a worker-owned co-op and then they go, oh my God, we're earning so much fucking money a day. What the fuck do we do with this? This is right. ridiculous, actually. And then you start to realize... Oh, money's a big fucking joke, actually. <laughs> money's a big fucking lie. Yeah. It, yeah. No one should be earning this amount of money. Yeah. And in fact, what we should be doing, actually, is trying to, like, put more money into other unions to, like, fund yeah. their strike funds and shit like that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, an interesting, an interesting thing to, t to talk about is, like, yeah, you know, what, what other... That's probably the extent that you could get to with a, with a trade union. Like with a tenants union, the extent that you could get to with a tenants union is it's a co-op, but this time it's a housing cooperative, right? Where everybody just has their own house. That's it. We, you know, the people decide who gets to live uh, in houses and, and the people decide that everyone gets to live in a house, right? That's, that's just it. <laughs> I'm trying to be fair and incorporate criticisms of everything and not just speak to my own perspective. Uh, of course. A big criticism of syndicalism is that like, if you had, say, the farmers union, right, uh, had figured all their shit out, right, and it comes to the negotiating thing, and they want certain things that, like, other other unionized like industries, like, um, uh, would struggle to provide, it would be tough on them, right? They make the food, so it would be like they would necessarily like if you're talking about like the transport workers right let's 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 say for a second right we've got like, we've got we've got syndicalist britain right and you've got the rmt have formed one faction in syndicalist britain and they're, they're the, all the transport workers of every kind right it's like people do need to get places they like transport is absolutely essential yeah. but it's also not something that you can use like to hold people hostage with in quite the same way as say food or or medical care so like if the doctors you know faction in in syndicalist britain were like well we're not going to treat you if you don't like give us what we want in this way right it that it, that it does open the door to like the 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 kind of classical argument is always to say a hierarchy will emerge or like it'll become unequal or whatever. I'm not trying to make that kind of argument that it's going to be unequal and that like the farmers will say, give us more of this stuff, but like right. they will necessarily have a bigger negotiating chip. So it might not be more of this stuff, but it might be like, um, 
we w- we think that food is the most important thing. We want to make sure that you like prioritize working on all of the like water systems to make sure that the fields are fed uh, as the number one top priority. But like, and and they're saying that to you know the people who work on you know, the, the faction of people who are in charge of utilities and like those people might be like, well, we kind of think that people being able to have hot water in their homes is more important. We, we, we really want to focus on that, right? And it's not necessarily about just like unequal and like your faction gets the most because you, you have the negotiating, you know, the bargaining chip, but also like it can still, rather than unequal, it's like that, that bargaining chip will like shape conversations in some way. I think that is a valid criticism of syndicalism, right? Yeah, I agree. I think... Um that's that what what has to happen fundamentally um hey zelda uh, in the twitch chat has just said the stated goal of the iww and its constitution is the abolition of the wage system and yeah Very like cool. when i was talking about you know unions trade unions i was generalizing because of course like not every union is going to be like that like we spoke about last week the, there are yellow unions um so we have to we have to just sort of think about like where people might go when it comes to realizing the power that unions actually have because if we're talking about building power we're also talking about how that power might affect the people who are causing it to be built right because for example in the tenants union yeah when i've been you know and and it is one of our things that we try and do in the in the union which is to radicalize our members because we might have members join who are completely apolitical um you know and i know i know lots of people online like to have a laugh and say oh you can't be truly apolitical and yes that is pedantically true um but like you know lots of people just do not think about politics until all of a sudden their material conditions like are are fucking them over and they don't know who to go to and they come to the tenants union and all of a sudden it's like oh there's these like radical housing activists who are helping me with my fucking dispute with my landlord and our job is to basically say to them listen you know that the reason this is happening is because landlords existing in general is fucked right um and and a lot of the time it's hard it's actually hard to like um you know radicalize people into that way of thinking like you know you can try as best as you can um you know based on their own material conditions but sometimes people are very very focused it's it's like the thing of the matrix it always comes back to the matrix obviously um you know some people just aren't ready to be unplugged right some people are just too reliant on the system um and uh yeah we just you know they're, they're just not gonna um accept it however um the uh i guess like the main oh i had a point and i think i might have lost the point um but yeah no but the, we'll, the, the, we'll get there uh yeah the um so yeah when it comes to like um yeah people the way that dual power when it is built this is what it was the way that dual power when it was when it's built and how it might affect people because there are some people in the union who when we explain to them like the power that we're building with our union they go fucking ham and they're like oh my god amazing like this is great this is the best thing ever i'm now going to become a full-time activist etc etc teach me how to do it right um but there are some people who just don't understand it fully and you know we have to i guess like what this is what sophie was saying we have to make allowances for this not allowances but we have to be prepared for it and and find out like you know what how can we how can we prevent people from taking the power that we're building and you know i guess running with it in a different direction and and how can we you know steer them to the right direction which is you know ultimately a a, a 
post-capitalist world uh, in, in some form, right? Yeah, I think that's why it is important for like, um, I think people to, like we're talking about kind of like incorporate their radical politics from the kind of ground up when they are kind of, you know, starting to build any kind of um, organization or anything like that. And, um, and just to be like, I guess, like quite unapologetic about it. Like, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's like you just in terms of like social dynamics and stuff like that, you, you can't really prepare for every situation, you know, you might, you might have a good thing going and then some people might just like kind of just totally roll you and just, you know, that's why I'm Um, saying I want to incorporate criticisms of everything here, because I just think different material conditions and different political structures are going to cause different situations for people. And like a different strategy is going to be required in different places. Yeah, 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 totally. And um, yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, it is. I mean, it is a hard thing um, to kind of, yeah, like like we were saying, you can't prepare for absolutely every situation and you just never know like what's going to happen within like, you know, social dynamics of the group and stuff like that. But yeah, just trying to be as, um, I think like as open as kind of like, as open as possible and also, you know, to maintain kind of like a democratic nature to, you know, anything that you're doing, I think is really good because I, I've seen a couple of really good projects and good orgs just get absolutely destroyed because um, people start getting too caught up in, I guess, like the social politics of the group as opposed to the end goal, you know, um, which I mean, I think is just like a very human thing very that classic. we can yeah, attempt yeah, to mu- minimize. But, um, but unfortunately, just, you know, it's like that wild thing where it's like, reactionaries will just work with the the you know the absolute scum of the earth if they have if their goals are aligned um but you know like i think if you're a principled person on the left you know like it can be very hard to do that and i don't and i don't think it's like something that we should do you know like well i I, this is something i wanted to bring up next because if we're talking about different approaches to building dual power um, it's worth talking for a minute about affinity groups. So um, one anarchist approach uh, that has been like trying to fight. So, okay, I'll define it first. Um, affinity groups takes a little bit like what you just said about like reactionaries will work with absolutely whoever, like takes a little bit of a similar approach where they're just like, if, if, if we care about this thing, like whatever this specific thing is, mm-hmm. then all the people who care about this thing can organize together, can mobilize together to do a specific thing oh, to try yeah. to deal with that issue. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's an affinity group. Like we care about uh, access to abortion. So we're going to redact it in Minecraft and Roblox and so on, Mitch McConnell and furthermore and, yeah. and, and so on and so on. Um, then like, the, and then after that, those people are just free to do whatever they want. And like, it doesn't, it doesn't immediately seem like this, this could be a model for building dual power because it, by definition, it's kind of rejecting the idea of like making an org and like, and like holding a structure that way. But like, it is in many ways, like a, a workable model for um, direct democracy in a population, because if people, basically, if people are, are, if everyone is like, kind of has a realized political agency and they're, they're all like, when we want shit to change, we form affinity groups. Then, like, whenever there is a thing that some group wants to like to change to benefit them, they form an affinity group to specifically change that thing. Um, and then, obviously, there's criticisms of that, which is like, 
yeah, firstly, like you could find yourself working with someone who you think like has otherwise absolutely despicable politics and on a kind of intellectual and moral level, there are, there are problems with that. There's also, as I just said, like the immediate hurdle is like, it's kind of hard to see how affinity groups would ever meaningfully build dual power. Um, like it, because it's kind of a rejection of, uh, it's, it's not a rejection of class. It's obviously like something that is being practiced by people who are very class conscious, but like it is a rejection of like, we're going to organize the working class into, into this structure and this shape to do this thing. Um, but like, yeah, I think, I think that it is immediately tr- like apparent that that might be harder to build dual power with. Cause yeah, it, it makes sense. Like how do you build dual power if, if, all that people are ever doing is like getting together to tackle one specific thing. Like the idea, you know, your, your, your idea of a revolution then would be uh, one day everyone gets together for the affinity group of, of ending capitalism, which like, you know, I don't, I don't know that that's ever going to happen. Like a lot of, (laughs) there are a lot of anarchists I know who are basically like, they, 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 they started off like supporting the labor party uh, many many years ago and then since then they've you know they've, they've fallen out of love with electoral politics altogether and then organization after organization yeah. and then they're like i think even organizations are flawed we should just have affinity groups and then it's like right but how what like what is actually the long-term plan yeah. like the long-term game plan for affinity groups and dual power it's really hard to see yeah. like a way that that could actually work right yeah yeah and i mean that is like um there's like the um the i mean like a criticism of like the kind of anarchist approach of having like a really broad um you know kind of thing for dual power i think is like you know from the kind of like the marxist leninist side is that this is like impossibly broad you know like sort of thing like that it should be like more of a focused kind of thing like you know which um yeah no i think is like yeah like obviously you have to look at the area that you're organizing then and all that kind of stuff like that but um yeah like going with the kind of like I think like sometimes that lack of structure and you know like breaking down into different groups and stuff like that can be um can be vital and necessary and then there's other times where it's kind of just like okay but there's no um yeah like now you've become too abstracted from the end goal sort of thing uh, yeah maybe I, I think I think yeah. with affinity groups I definitely I mean as I've just said kind of agree with that I don't want to yeah. I don't want to leave the the criticism of the vanguard party unsaid uh, the criticism of the Vanguard Party is uh, tyranny. You could just have a, a sh- yeah, yeah. shit people in charge, and they could just be dickheads. Uh, it has happened. There has been anarchist organizing that has held massive regions before and and, and survived for long times in the past. It still does. I mean, like with like the Zapatistas, and yeah, yeah. I don't want to. I also don't want to like let people walk away with the impression that anarchist organizing never goes anywhere, right? Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. What we're saying here is that in the broader scheme of building dual power, yeah. what is effective and what is potentially going to hinder us, I guess. Yeah, and it'll be different in different places. Yeah. yeah yeah exactly that's the thing it's like we we um like no one should walk away from listening to us here and being like this is the most effective thing or whatever like that i think what no. we're trying to do is more kind of like yeah. lay out um you know like a whole bunch of different things and then yeah. maybe you can like think about what you think is better. i'll also hear like d- distinguish uh, red planet's position from like the 
left unity position because you'll see like oh, yeah. you'll see like dickhead uh sock dems who are just liberals right like who, yeah. who that like people who are sock dems who who might call themselves anarchists so they might just call themselves sock dems <laughs> but ultimately they're just fucking liberals who come in yeah, saying yeah. like left unity we should all work together and it's like I can't work with you. You 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 ultimately think capitalism would be fine, and capitalism is killing the planet, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so I, I just want to differentiate. Like Red, Red Planet's position is not like a left unity thing. It's that like the we want we want leftism of whatever kind to like fucking succeed everywhere in yeah. whatever way it can, right? Yeah. And that's not left unity per se. Ultimately, it would be really cool if all the communists who uh who who get like you know, come to be in charge in all of their places, then like each other and get on. But like, yeah. it's not about like all of them coming together in one block and ignoring the fact that some of them are fucking liberals. A bunch of them hate trans people. Some of them yeah, just yeah. want to smoke weed and play video games yeah. and do nothing. Like it's not, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, not yeah. that project at all. But there's also like the need to be like, if you are, if you are an anarchist or a communist or whatever, and you see in your area that, you know, like someone from the other camp is doing really well and making huge strides and stuff like that, you know, like you can absolutely stand in solidarity with them. And you might, you know, like uh, there's, there have been so many times, even like when we're looking at what's happening in France, the, the big union, I think this, is it the CGT that is like running a lot of those uh, protests? They're a group that were basically all communists and anarchists and all, you know, the different kinds of leftists that all got together and were like, we, we can work together to um, achieve a greater project, you know? So right. I think it's like, you know, while I don't believe in some kind of like, you know, like, um, yeah, just like the liberal pan left alliance or whatever like okay. that, yeah. I think that like, you know, like uh, communists and anarchists can kind of like work together in solidarity, like very easily yeah, because no, 90% of the time, <laughs> like 90% of the time we agree on absolutely everything. They literally did in the Russian revolution. Like a yeah, lot of yeah. the, a lot of the grievances when you have like very online anarchists saying all Marxists will want to kill us the moment they get the chance um, yeah. is them referring to after anarchists and Marxists had been working together and successfully achieved a revolution yeah. together. Yeah. Yeah. Literally just like one time. 30 Bird in the tw- in the Twitch chat just said Sophie just came for half the anarchists in my town. And <laughs> I, I'm reminded I'm reminded of like I used to be like um N- Nat would be pulling me up on some like uh, nonsense bullshit when we first got together and I was a bit of a shithead. Like she would point point out some kind of like dickhead behavior I was doing or like opinion I was expressing and I'd be like you don't you don't like say this when like your friend is expressing or doing the same thing and she'd be like yeah well I love you I don't fucking love him (laughs) Um, (laughs) I feel the same way with anarchists like a lot of the time I find myself criticizing anarchists and it's because I am one um and then oh yeah yeah no totally yeah like there's a there's a common adage in like organizing um which is again you know this is this is a nuanced take uh but like you know people will say um liberals will organize with literally anyone to the left of them but anarchists simply won't um and it's like well yeah okay, yeah okay like that's obviously not entirely true but like um yeah it's it's it you, what you have to remember is like so like here's here's a real world example um, and this is from our own, my own union, the, the, the tenants union. And that is that like one of our most active vocal committee members, um, used to be a Brexit gammon, literally just wow. used to be a Brexit gammon guy. And now he is like so far left. And I'm not saying yeah. that like what you have to do 
is let Brexit gammons into your org. <laughs> yeah. What what basically what I'm trying to say is that like you will find that some people will come to you with issues that are around their material conditions. You know, like this is this is like it, it yeah. sort of echoes what Sophie was talking about the the Fred Hampton and and, and the um what were they called the lost young patriots, patriots the young patriots yeah. like this kind of thing like those were some brexit gammons the usa version who were like affected by the material conditions of capitalism and fred hampton went over to him and said listen this is why this is happening you know we can help yeah. you with this and they yeah. became not brexit gammons great and also this is kind of just what happens with um you know generally speaking people who have never before they they will you know, there's there's a difference of people, isn't there? There are, there are like people who are actively doing harm in the community, and these are people with like big platforms. These are people with um, lots of, uh, uh, I guess, capital, and you know, like we're talking the people who organize, you know, um, um, racist marches and and racist yeah. protests and stuff like that. Like these are the people who are like actively doing harm. The people who go to those protests are also doing harm, mind you. Um, but like, if there is someone in your org who, you know, maybe you don't know the politics of, and you know, they're like really, really cool and really, really based. And then you find out that like in the past, they like voted for Brexit and had some bad opinions on migrants. You know, basically what I'm trying to say is we don't really get anywhere by saying, you know, kick that guy out, you yeah. know, if, especially if he's not doing any harm now and he's rescinded his past opinions kind of thing. But I guess the, what, what I'm saying there is that like, you may not know who your allies will become. You may not know who your allies are at this entire moment. There is nuance. There is, uh, you know, a lot of differences that you're going to yeah. like see in opinions. And I guess I'm using that as a more extreme example of what this is. Like if you are refusing to organize with, with certain organizations because they don't exactly hold your politics, but the thing is that's not holding your politics together with theirs is that like they don't quite agree with um you know what happened in the russian revolution uh you know fucking 60 years ago like y you might want to like let that go like that that that's basically like what i'm trying to say you know there's a lot of very distinctly kind of like radical revolutionary groups that do organize with way more liberal kind of groups and stuff. And it's just kind of like it's part of being like a communist or an anarchist or whatever is like realizing that like you know, 90% of the world at the moment doesn't have the same politics as you. Yes. And yeah, um, yeah I mean, you're going to be, you're going to be pretty lonely if you don't work alongside people that don't share your views. Totally. But it's, it's like you said before about like making your org from the, from the beginning have yeah, those absolutely. goals. And it's like, it, it doesn't matter what someone's politics then is if they come in and they're, they're, you know, they have yeah, yeah. the, fucking treasurer or the you know the facilitator of the meetings right they have a role they're doing that they're serving the the the, the, yeah, the org yeah, and the org's goals are this so it doesn't matter what their politics are mm. um i i want to say i think it's really important for us to talk a little bit about climate change because like yes. when we're talking about like the material conditions being different in different places the politics that divide people being different in different places and how that will affect stuff obviously like the the I'm trying, oh God, like you, you don't want to reach for like a metaphor that's too on the nose, but literally like yeah. the temperate, the political temperature is, is turning up. We need to get a bit serious. Yeah. Um, that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I just, I just meant generally speaking, like 
the way things are going in the world like you right know. but i i think that as well like as well as like there being like a pressure i think it's also that like uh climate change increasingly exposes the fundamental contradictions of capitalism like it will, right, it will increasingly like stress the state and like it's the weather like we can't fucking get away from it and everyone is going to be like um looking for answers to like to do something and to, to change the system that we're in that's causing this yeah. um and yeah i just think like that's one of the reasons that i talk about um imperialism for countries in the imperial periphery and like orga- like those yeah. people in those countries organizing around that as the thing that they want to throw off right because like because um because imperialist like imperialist capitalism specifically and and neoliberal ca- uh, imperialist capitalism even more specifically than that is like the is the thing that's done the majority of pollution in the climate like the majority of carbon's gone into the climate in the last 30 years like not the industrial revolution specifically neoliberalism yeah there's no way to seriously engage with you know like climate change without actually engaging with you know neoliberalism it is like it's it's the American imperialism yeah 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 exactly yeah it's like i mean it's you can without acknowledging those uh two things you can only go so far you know yeah. right so and i think it is it is it's something really good to rally around because uh most people, especially like the younger generation, like they all know this is like, this is fact, like this is yeah. the real deal. It's not, you know, it's not going away and things are going to get better by themselves. And I think yeah. um, younger generations are becoming more aware of yeah. the radical needs, uh, the radical, um, like the radical things needing to be done to actually kind of correct it. Because I, I think I like, think- yeah. Well, sorry, I was just going to say that I think that younger generations have accepted that under capitalism, they're not going to get to retire. They're not going to have any future. They're not going to be able to have kids. And like the biggest hurdle for younger generations is doomerism. It's not like it's not um, convincing them to not love capitalism like it is with older generations. It's convincing them that like they that, that capitalism will fall apart and we can do something to make a better world. Yeah. This is something that I was thinking of earlier and I forgot to say it, but it, it's absolutely like we have to start thinking about capitalist realism and how that affects us. Because I think that what lots of people think is still that the revolution will just be a global one. It'll happen overnight. Like yeah. it, it's not, it's, it's not going to happen like that folks. You know what I mean? Like, you know, this is why Sophie um, was saying before, like, you know, it has to be different things. Oh, Tim, well, we've all been saying it, like, we've literally all been mm-hmm. saying it. Like it has to, that each revolution has to be, each dual power building has to be particular to the material conditions that affect it. Right. Yeah. And, and, um, and in terms of like, you know, what we may see in the, and the, I've been thinking about this a lot recently, what we may see in a post-capitalist future is that the final capitalist countries are the US and the UK, right? Or even oh, maybe- Oh, big like, disagree. Y- do you reckon? Yeah. I, well, because I don't think that America is going to last the next like five to 10 years. <laughs> I, don't think, I really, I, I just, I just, I just think that like yeah. the, the, the reactionaries and the militias have ramped up to such a degree. Like, I don't see the yeah, US. I guess least, so. I guess so. Exists, yeah. Yeah. There in like a little while. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see, I, like, I do see an implosion on in the future at some point. It's like, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, it's um 
like I, I've always been like you know like of the position that I think that like the communist revolution the global revolution or whatever isn't is going to um you know it's going to be from the imperial periphery and it's going to it's going to start there and it's going to move out through there and I feel like the imperial core will probably be like the end game you know like the- that's what i was thinking yeah that, that was my that was my thinking tim yeah that's that's kind of what i've always um felt but i mean like i gotta admit that i'm like you know like obviously there is like you know i am looking at a little bit of you know like the kind of material kind of elements but also just like operating on vibes and just <laughs> <laughs> that's just kind of how yeah. i feel that it's probably gonna go that's um, dialectical materialism there's the yeah. there's the the thesis which is vibes and there's the antithesis which is materialism yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then that makes a synthesis vibes materialism yeah and i mean like everybody <laughs> approaches it pretty differently like you know every like a lot of countries that have you know, like have socialist revolutions, have, you know, established some level of dual power, have done so differently. It's kind of like, I don't know, it it is super interesting to kind of see how it's happened. But yeah, I've got to say like South America, um, you know, like that's, that is to me where a lot of like the interesting kind of stuff around building dual power and like maybe the beginning of like the global revolution is, um, I feel like that's where, um, that's to me like the spot to watch that's my that's my tip if you're if you're a betting person (laughs) if you're going to start investing in communism uh yeah yeah if you want to buy some commie coins yeah (laughs) get latin america uh nfts now on sophie's patreon um i i i don't know i would say like i think i think that a lot of stuff happening in africa that like um not only is overlooked because of yeah, like we don't even hear bias about against Africa, but like specifically, yeah, we don't hear about it, right? We, it doesn't get reported on. And I think a big part of that is like, if you look at the Stephen Donziger case, right? The the lawyer yeah. who was opposing, was it Shell? Like some big yeah, oil yeah. company. Yeah. And like, he got like, they, they like went to like fucking ruin his life. Like they had him labeled a terrorist. They had his like legal license taken away. It was a, like a fucking mm. ordeal. If people don't know about this, look up Stephen Donziger, read about his whole case. The, the, but the only point I'm trying to make is like the in, the insane power that the corporations who operate in Africa have to like push their agenda, and I think that like so many people in countries where, and I'm not trying to make a continent in, into one monolith here at all, but like so many people in African countries where there is really obvious like environmental devastation yeah. and imperialist capitalist exploitation they can see that as the as the enemy yeah, yeah. right in front of them. So in terms of like eyes on the prize, it's right there. Yeah, yeah. Africa and um, I think like South America are really like, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I think, well, I, I think I think actually for me, why I think that, um, you know, like we only hear more about South America because it is like literally like America adjacent sort of thing. Right. And for them, the, the trail of exploitation is so obvious because it's like, yeah, we're down here and the people up there, are, you know, literally like we are like, you're exploiting us every day. We see it very clearly. Um, yeah. And yeah, the exact same thing in, in Africa, right. You know, you get like, mm-hmm. there's so many countries like that other, you know, like European powers have just totally exploited and undeveloped them and um, and they can see it, you know, like directly in front of them. Whereas like for places like, you know, down here in Aotearoa, it's like a little bit more like, you know, like, you know that like you're getting exploited and this kind of stuff like that, but no, like the average person 
thinks of it in a much more abstract way. Whereas like people in South America and Africa, a lot of times see it directly in front of them, you know, like, um, Oh, I've been, yeah. I've been, I've been slapped down by Nat here. Uh, uh, she's pointing out Stephen Donzig was actually in Latin America. Uh, so my entire, my entire point there was wrong, but, um, oh, but yeah. my point about Africa remains. I'll also say like with climate change, the, the vast majority of the working class, the, just, human beings uh, who will be affected by climate change are in China and India. Right. And China is a really interesting case because of like the media control that the CCP has. And like, if we were taking the the different like revolutionary temperatures of different places, right. It's actually really hard for us outside of China to do that for China, because like, if you were saying hypothetically, right. uh, One of the biggest things that would affect imperialism and global capitalism right now was if there was tomorrow a fucking mega-based commie revolution in China and they overthrew the like dangest you know pseudo-communist CCP and they were like no we're we're anti-imperialist communists now and we're no longer like manufacturing shit for the imperial core and we're throwing off the shackles of imperialism and fuck you right Mm. like we would have no way of knowing if that was coming because like that is the that is the main thing the CCP would not want anyone to know about was if they Mm -hmm. were you know about to be overthrown I want to address this because two people have brought this up in the Mm. chat, in in the YouTube and the Twitch chat, and I want to address it because it's been brought up in a a couple of different ways. But like in what I was saying earlier about like people who think the revolution will happen overnight, uh, Dermot the Rat says, "Um, I wonder if this sort of Christian rapture mentality of the revolution will happen overnight has roots in Christian indoctrination. It absolutely does. And I'll tell you why. It's every, every single kind of like thing that we have in in political ideology at the moment is influenced by colonialist um protestant thinking right it it happens all the time this is like what neoliberalism does to your brain right it it makes you think that like we have to operate within the framework that is given to us and so we have to think of communists versus uh capitalists as you know um um you know for want of a better statement heathens versus uh catholics right you know this kind of stuff like and good you know, guys and the bad guys the good guys the bad guys and eventually there will be this huge big thing where we uh you know eventually like the good guys prevail over everybody and everything's fine it's a good end of the day story and that's it just all happens in one fell swoop and and, and that's how it works but of course it isn't how it works it, it it's not how it's going to work and and yeah i do deeply believe that colonial mindsets um that are rooted in you know white supremacist uh, you know based religions mm-hmm. like I, I absolutely think that that influences how we think and how it shapes our ideologies yeah. and the things that yeah. we say. Not only is like the idea the revolution will be global and overnight is like a reactionary idea because it's unhelpful and inaccurate, right? Yeah. But it's also a reactionary idea in that like if you just look at the people who are organizing, uh, the 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 communists who believe that are pretty exclusively reactionary pseudo communists like fucking Caleb Morphin, right? Like it's it's right. <laughs> the only yeah, the yeah, only yeah. people who think that like yeah, the revolution will be judgment day and like all my, all the people yeah, I think yeah. are bad. They're like, we're just going to get our vanguard and we're just going to, yeah. you know, we're just going to stroll in. And, yeah. But, <laughs> um, bringing it back a little bit more directly to, well, both Latin America and, um, and dual power structures. Um, I did find an article that had a really interesting point about, um, there was, um, yeah, it was uh, talking about dual power in um, Venezuela's Bolivarian revolution. 
So, um, yeah, so they built dual power by, and this is like kind of, you know, like we were talking about how it will, you know, like uh, building dual power should be unique to the circumstances that you, you know, are currently in in your country and all that kind of stuff like that. But this is, this is kind of like how they approached it there. They, um, so they built what they, they kind of like, uh, they were the institutions of the state and they built their own kind of like parallel system as they were going. Um, and so, uh, you know, they were like, they, I think they called it the communal state that they were like forming. And, um, they formed this by building communal councils, you know, like, which is, you know, like Soviets or whatever. Um, yeah. and so, um, yeah, and I mean, this is like in the early 2000s. And um, it says that the community councils are horizontally structured with all of their leaders called voceros or spokespeople working free of charge and considered of equal rank. Spokespeople can belong to no more than one of the council's various commissions, which include a communal bank, which handles grant money, a social controllership, which monitors spending, and an employment commission, which enlists qualified community members for remunerative jobs and attempts to ensure that they receive preferential hiring. All decisions, including the selection of spokespeople, are ratified in an assembly of citizens, which represents the community council's maximum instance of decision making. Hmm. So it's like, it's kind of interesting. Um, and they grouped these councils into federations called socialist communes um, and worked together to carry out large scale products, um, you know, develop socially owned but competitive kind of like production industries, which they called communal enterprises. And this is all, um, they, yeah, this is like, they laid it out in their 2010 organic law of communes, um, which was like, they based it a lot on, um, well, from what I was reading earlier on um, the Mondragon Corporation, um, mm. you know, the, the Spanish one that was kind of like, well, like their initial kind of like plan, but um yeah, which I think is a really interesting way where it's like, this is a country in, you know, like in the 2000s that kind of did these things that is like very much kind of like in line with the dual power kind of ideas that were set forth, like, you know, like back, you know, like we had like Lenin, Kropotkin, and then even further back, Proudhon talking about these kind of things. And it's like, this is like a direct kind of, you know, like this is like the same thing. They've just transposed it to, uh, you know, the, the modern circumstances and kind of, um, you know, like, I guess, like to the time, well, yeah, like the, um, the needs of the, the time and place. Um, yeah. Totally, you know, unique characteristics for both of them because of, you know, the situation that they came out of. But um, yeah, but like common features among both, which is like, you know, like everyone is, it's very communal. Um, you know, everyone is an equal, everyone votes on everything. And then, you know, like, so yeah. these guys will get together and vote on one thing. And then, you know, representatives from different groups that have voted on other things get together and vote on these things and stuff, which is like, you know, it's very direct democracy kind of thing yeah. instead of this kind of like larger representative democracy. And um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I kind of love that idea. Um, and it's kind of like, I think, um, creating these parallel institutions kind of like necessarily puts you very um, at odds with the existing state. And I know that there were like, there was a very, 
like there was a lot of clashes back and forth which i think is kind yeah. of like necessary or whatever but um yeah i think that's like a really interesting kind of study in um yeah you know like adapting to the the time the place but still very much mm-hmm. doing something that from from the ground up is built yeah, very communist minded you know so I think yeah. that um, I just want to I just want to comment on the idea of clashes with the existing state, which I think is probably a, a relevant idea if we're talking about dual power, right? Like yeah, what we yeah. built, what the what the working class has built versus the existing state, right? Um, mm. Because there's a note I wanted to add into this conversation about like the Leninist perspective, um, because while this wasn't really what the Bolsheviks did. Um, the Le- like the the Leninist perspective on like parliamentary like capitalist parliamentary democracy is that like it's mostly not worth engaging with but if you if you've built if you've reached a point where you've built enough dual power like uh, and, and you are at that that point where it's like tipping over and like you're basically like the, the old state is going to fall apart and it's going to be our new our, you know our new based cool state yeah. instead uh, <laughs> it's worth it's worth having people in elected positions then who whose goal yeah. is that who who are literally just like the, the votes, the motions, the bills they all put in, in place are all facilitating that happening. And it wasn't really what the Bolsheviks did because the Bolsheviks were like on the run and constantly trying to like not get shot yeah, in the yeah. head by Tsarists. But like, <laughs> but it is, it is something that Lenin said because like his perspective was to do with the structures that already exist that, that, that like, except for being driven, like being facilitated through wage labor and being in service of the capitalist state are otherwise good structures like the fucking postal service or the railroads or whatever, or the hospitals, right? Like you need to, to, to grab onto those bits and like take them into your new, your new society. Um, Yeah. yeah. So I I just wanted to say that it's like, it's not necessarily totally hostile to the existing state. Like for the most part it is because ultimately you're trying to overthrow the, the existing state, but like, it's also can involve some people like who are playing the parliamentary long game if you've got yeah, yeah. enough broad support for your ideology that those people could actually get elected in the imperial court today that's not fucking happening no one's electing yeah. a communist to shit in the imperial no. court yeah, uh, yeah we saw what happened to bernie sanders we saw what happened to jeremy corbyn it's not happening yeah yeah i think um that's i mean we've talked about it before about like how um you know there they can be kind of you know, they can be leftists in elected positions, but they're, they kind of have to, like, there is kind of like a symbiotic role with activists outside of parliament to kind of work with them. Um, and the, yeah, like a huge thing is public trust in any kind of like, you know, revolutionary situation, right? So it's like, you can be doing these like direct actions, you can be building mutual aid networks and doing all this kind of stuff, but to really kind of like flick the switch on it. Like people then generally needs to be a huge amount of trust from people that you might not ever actually see in the street at the food bank, whatever, you right, know? So, exactly, um, yeah. and that is where like a lot of the time people that already have like a pre-existing relationship will um, be involved. So you get people that already involved with like leftist political parties. Like, I mean, I, I definitely know people in, 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 involved with mainstream polit- political parties down here that if something were ever to be like that i think that people would trust them to kind of like have a position of authority because we would know like okay these people are you know they're they're in the house but they are like legit they come from a background where they you know have always advocated for the workers for you know like all that kind of stuff like i think that that's possible but um 
yeah but still you know it's like you always do have to be careful of the kind of like the liberalization and defanging yes, yeah, of any absolutely. revolutionary movement yeah. so um yeah i think it's it's yeah. one of those things it's like um you know like you can you can find allies within yeah within like the house or whatever like that and it's sometimes that is instrumental to kind of doing the thing but mm. um yeah, you know, you got to keep those. You got to keep those politics uh, primary. You know, you got to keep the yeah. keep the ideology on the table at all times. So, I think just before we go to our Q and A section, I just thought it would be useful to um, do a few examples of the like a, a hypothetical building of dual power because we talked about a couple of historical examples and we talked about some of the like ways that it could be done. But I just thought like maybe we could go around between the three of us and like do off the top of your head like. And an idea, like kind of just a little, a little fun, like kind of alt history, like you know, alt, alt future, like how your how your based communist utopia gets built, at least where where you are. So like, um, uh, and 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 uh, and it doesn't have to be the one you think is like most likely, but just kind of an example off the top of your head of how it could come together, right? Um, so I'll uh, to 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 facilitate what I'm what I'm describing, I'll give an example myself. Um, so, like, I think that um, Britain currently has, like, a, a massively resurgent um, uh, workers' rights movement, like, the unions mm-hmm. coming together and forming a lot of, of, of union power. Uh, there's the Enough is Enough movement, which is bringing together some of the biggest unions right now. So, like, you know, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with my, my example being um, a little bit syndicalist, right? Because, like, there, there, are, there are unions coming together and kind of um, and working together there. But I think that... Um, I've already said I'd rather my I like my my dual power uh, crunchy not smooth whatever <laughs> um, <laughs> I like I, I like the idea of an acephalous dual power so you know I'd much rather people were kind of not led by some kind of vanguard right um, so my my idea is like um, you know enough is enough doesn't like lead some kind of vanguardist thing here it's more like the the you know the unions get their maximum power and they work together but I think it's also like um like Mule was saying about like Luna's example with the women's union right like um uh people organizing on the issues of their community so like migrants mm. communities and like the queer community and like um black minority ethnic Britons you know like organizing within their communities and like uh making sure that they kind of have a seat at the table and what's being discussed right and they're kind of um so you know, supposing all these groups organize to the to the to their strongest point, right? You have like the queer community having their kind of their their Soviet or whatever, right? Their their like council coming to the table with the with the you know the RMT or whatever, and mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, and 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 these groups working together and like that being the kind of power that's like coordinating between them to make sure society keeps on ticking over, but they're also like removing any delegation to the to the old state and like um making sure everything is provided for like because they 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 see that all the mechanisms are in place they just don't want money to be the thing that like drives it anymore right um and i think that also like you know um uh it being like the things that people are organizing around right um i'm i'm kind of basing my example on things that i i know are like organizing flavors that already exist in britain right so like mm. um as well as kind of identity based organizations there's also like um uh green like climate activists right so like as well there probably be a faction of like 
people whose main concern is protecting the climate. And then they are kind of directing conversation in favor of like making sure that um, how things function are to their kind of bare minimum to help people and keep society going rather than pumping a ton of fucking unnecessary pollution into the atmosphere. Uh, That's my, that's my dual power vision. Um, Tim. I would say that my, um, my vision or my, I guess like my most, my um my my fantasy my um my utopian situation my um my um my ideal situation i think for aotearoa would be um so we have um like so the kind of like general kind of like maori kind of structure is that there's like um the iwi which is like the tribe and then there's yep. like the sub tribes which are called hapu and so you know and then from the hapu then it's just down to the family of whanau so um uh historically hapu were like spread like each iwi would be kind of considered like i guess like a nation whereas like a hapu would be kind of more like a a tribe sort of thing but then just the way that things have kind of shaken out it's like i guess people people tend to identify more with their iwi now whereas like um, I think organizing wise and like, you know, like, I guess like uh, just in um, deciding the way that we structure our lives and societies, his- historically it was like Hapu had more say, like, uh, but just, yeah, you know, like has everything has been kind of like pushed together and everything like that. Um, these days, like Iwi have a lot of say and Hapu don't really have much power. But like an iwi could like so for my iwi uh, Napui, it's like most of like the upper North Island. And for me, I'm like, what are the suits in Hokkiang ever done for me? Like nothing, you know. But like <laughs> hapu, that's like people that I know, my family, all this kind of you know stuff uh, like that. Yeah, yeah. And so hapu are generally like really kind of like tied in with the environment around them. They you know like so whenever there is like any kind of like discussion on um you know like when it's like about like conservation or you know just any kind of like changing environmental kind of thing whether it's from like climate change or you know industrialization or anything like that hapu are generally consulted about this kind of stuff because it's like they know the area they know all this kind of stuff like when there have been disasters generally it's hapu that kind of like step up and provide for people and like hapu have like set up gigantic mutual aid networks in response to everything from just like general poverty to like you know like floods and cyclones all these kind of things like that and i think that that structure of um you know like i think it's like it's it's very like communist you know i mean like that's like when settlers first came to new zealand they were like oh they're beastly communists and stuff like that (laughs) like they literally wrote that in letters they were like we must free these people from communism um and i would love beastly communists would actually be a great tattoo yeah yeah i mean that's like like um yeah it's like it's kind of like a meme within like maori communist kind of um so i like i would love to see a revival of like i like i mean it is happening people are kind of going back to their kind of like you know their marae which is like the place you know like their kind of like communal village sort of thing i would guess say that where their hapu is based and stuff and 
like there are a lot of people that are kind of bringing radical politics back to that there are there are like kind of these growing voices in maori political spaces that are very radical very like inspired by because i mean there there have been that's happened multiple times over the generation over generations we've had booms of like radical maori politics informed by you know informed by like Marx, um, Angela Davis, um, you know, Fanon, everything like that. And I feel like we're going through another one of those now, like with like, I guess, like anti-colonial, like post-colonial kind of discussions becoming more common. I think, um, yeah, like a lot more Maori are bringing that back, taking that back home sort of thing. And so my, my view, my vision would be a like kind of hapu-led, communes like kind of forming councils across New Zealand working to uh, with each other to establish a kind of like a dual power network that is kind of like organized roughly along like I mean because we already have these like we already have these structures you know sort of thing um which would be like extremely based and I mean like I know like a lot of people kind of freak out when we talk about stuff like that because and then they're just like oh isn't that just like a racial segregated thing, but it's, it's not, there's like, you know, like all the kind of mutual aid projects that Hapu have kind of put together over the years. Like I've, you know, like I've never seen a person turned away based on any grounds, even like, you know, I've seen people that are like total shitheads get catered yeah. for. It's, um, <laughs> there's like kind of like an old saying that is like basically like, um, the hapu's response. The, the hapu is responsible for feeding every child in the and um, it was so like, yeah, basically in the area and the you know to say it in a word that is in a way that is kind of sad <laughs> in the area. Um, so I feel like I I like I want to I want I want to see a resurgence in Maori communism oh, and yeah. dual power that um, I feel like I feel like if it's going to come from anywhere in New Zealand, it's going to be like you know, a lot of it is going to be from there, but um, yeah, that's, that's, that is my, that is, I admit a pretty far-fetched kind of um, far-fetched. It's okay. We're just, dream, uh, we're just, we're just throwing shit at the wall. Uh, Mule, what's, uh, you have a, a, off the top of your head? Well, I live in the same country as Sophie and she put it in words that I agree with very much um so i don't really have i'm not one. saying that's how it's gonna go i'm just giving an example of how it could go hypothetically uh um, we're just throwing things out there i mean your your whole your whole bit was with the, the vanguard right no i mean i was saying that enough is enough uh, are more poised to be like a vanguard right now and i don't and in my example they wouldn't be i'm saying like supposing they don't do that and they're just like you've got your powerful unions but then you also have like people who are representing kind of com- marginalized communities and you're also going to have people who are representing the climate, you know? Yeah. I don't want it any other way than that. So you know, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to, do you know what I mean? Like I, I just okay. agree to be honest. So like, I guess Based. like let's, I don't know, let's uh, talk about a different uh, scenario. And that is that Cuba and Vietnam just kind of ally together and just invade the rest of the world. And uh, that's how it works. They're going to bring communism. <laughs> um, they've been yeah, secretly, okay. they've been secretly developing super soldiers, Antifa super soldiers uh, <laughs> collaboratively over the years. 10 billion clones of Fidel Castro. They've been using that. 
Havana syndrome is actually yeah. I, like, I was yeah, gonna yeah, say that. I was gonna like, use power Havana of America. To take out all the capitalists. Well, okay, That's then it. let's. If, yeah. if in that case, let's let's go to uh, questions. We've got a couple of them. Um, yes. So, World Mark Wyndham asks uh, any tips for creating dual power structures for people with disabilities. I have autism, and I'm also working to become a caregiver. I want to hear your thoughts on how to include less able people. Yeah, I mean. Uh, like in terms of creating dual power structures for people with disabilities, it's, it's really about, so like in the example I just said about like, if, if the, the, the power structure that emerged for, to replace the existing one um, had people at the table who, you know, were making sure that the, the needs of marginalized people were seen to, uh, that would only emerge through like those communities organizing. So like, and I do think that like a socialism that doesn't, consider disabled people as is no socialism at all right so yeah. i think that like i think that it, it's more about like um uh like tim's been saying the whole time about like um making sure that an organization that's formed has its eyes on the on the long term has its eyes on the prize from the beginning right so it's like it's it's about if you are doing organizing for disabled people then make that organizing long-term revolutionary socialist organizing like make it yeah. like you know it's it's not yeah. just the, it, it's i would say based on the principle that we always come to with organizing which is meeting people's needs solving people's problems right now right it, it's like what would be helping dis disabled people it'd probably be a, yeah. a mutual aid network uh that's helping out disabled people and that mutual aid network to go along with what i just said would be then like our principles in organizing are that we we believe a socialist world would be infinitely kinder to disabled people, yeah. and that and therefore that's the world that we want. Um, yeah. And then it would be yeah, it would be about growing that mutual aid network bigger and bigger, and yes. showing other people as well that like the things that it was doing and providing for people benefit everyone and not just disabled people. Because yeah. like you know, uh, as 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 a, an enjoyer of stim toys and flappy hands myself, I <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> I have to say, I can't imagine non-autistic people don't also like enjoy a, a quiet space sometimes and, a, yeah. and, yeah. you know, accessible things. <laughs> I still, when I was, um, last night I was like looking at different, you know, like articles and stuff about your power. And, um, so there was in one of them, there was this, um, where was, there was a quote from the Black Rose Anarchist Federation. Um, mm. was it, was it something Okay, the first type of activity is referred to by Black Rose Anarchist Feder Federation as action that encompasses all of the direct action and protest movements that fight authoritarianism, capitalism, racism, sexism, homophobia, and other institutionalized oppressions, which I think is like, you know, like the institutionalized oppressions thing. It's like, obviously, that speaks, you know, directly to, you know, like disabilities, yeah. stuff like that. But um. They go on to say, this could be a group of employees organizing a union at their workplace or going on strike. This could mean a community campaign to hold a police officer guilty of brutality in a legal account. It could mm -hmm. also refer to residents in an apartment building holding a rent strike, students marching to demand free higher education, or activists holding a sit-in to demand action on climate change. Like, yeah, like, I feel like there's, um, there are, you know, there are plenty of avenues to kind of, like, explore there. And I think it's, like, yeah, if you um if you if you do it with um you know like with radical intent, like with if you do it looking towards a greater political project, and then you incorporate your own kind of like specific area of expertise or experience and stuff like that, I think there's like you know there's there's not much that you can kind of 
go wrong with there right <laughs> like i think like yeah. that's like there's a lot of stuff there a lot of angles mm. that um work with and also um like uh like nat has mentioned in the chat there's also a disability union in the uk so, yeah, yeah yeah and yeah. uh just to weigh in on this real quick um i have a command in my chat because this is something that comes up in my twitch chat quite often so uh just a shout out to the disability uh visibility project.com uh they have a article which is called ways to be in the struggle beyond the streets um uh-huh. and the link that i'm posting is the june uh 2020 update but there's lots of interesting cool. stuff in there um, not to get uh, not to like you know spend too much time on this uh but i think it is also important to mention that like uh allies you know it is your duty as an ally if you consider yourself an ally and you are organizing in orgs if your organization doesn't have uh for example you know specific protections for queer people specific protections for black minority ethnic people specific protections for uh, uh disabled people then you are yeah. failing as an ally your organization Absolutely. is not Absolutely. acceptable yeah. and you need to make sure that whatever you do whatever power you have in that org you use that power to bring that up uh, yeah. and and hopefully you know for example in the tenants union we're actually creating caucuses within the the union now um which are you know basically democratically have um very you know, good. powers like committees essentially yeah. um so yeah yeah that's that's something that needs to be done i have a final note on this question which is just that people in the twitch chat are very accurately pointing out that everyone will be disabled if they live long enough and so that's mm. you know that's a that's a point to just bring to this which is like when we talk about that stitching together stage where you're like yes. bringing together the different organizations and the different like factions of organizing right like a great next step for a mutual aid org that was like helping disabled people would be to make sure that you're helping old people i mean a lot of those people will be people who you're already serving with that mutual aid network but then you know you could also think about child care would be a great example of like that's people who who need taking care of yeah. Uh, who you know like and and that's where you start to stitch things together right that's a way you can start to think about it uh will mark windham also has a secondary question which is is there a major difference between affinity groups and activist groups i think this is like Uh, yeah yeah yeah, there is there is definitely differences so if you want to do you want to talk okay uh, activist activist groups like just broadly refers to any group of activists or as an affinity group is a specific idea over here we um have like i mean there's been a couple groups of like like old rich people you know like advocating for their own kind of like you know like segregated fucking communities or whatever like that right. and that's they're technically that's an activist group like they're right. totally <laughs> shitheads but they are in, engaging in some form of activism you know yeah. so it's like activism is like the idea of um you know like performing some kind of like action to yeah. promote some kind of political change or something like that whereas affinity groups is referring more to specifically how these groups are structured and um you know how they engage with each other and stuff i would say where activist group could be used to refer to just really any form of organizing and political activism yeah. affinity groups specifically refers to the idea of people saying we all care about this thing and we're going to come together decide what the best thing is we can do about it and when when like it is done, when we agree that the thing has been done, like we're going our separate ways. Like we are, we, this is a this is by definition like a temporary alliance around this thing. Um, so like if you've read How to Blow Up a Pipeline by Andreas Malm, right? Like when we're talking about like the the sabotage of the mechanisms that are causing climate change, affinity groups 
would be very capable and in, in a lot of cases right now literally are like the people carrying out direct actions like when you see uh, we, we covered this a long time ago on the show uh pot pissed off my favorite word uh, a, a group who did an action outside the ehrc like dumping a bunch of piss because like they won't let trans, trans people piss anywhere um you know that's an affinity group like they 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 came together to do that thing you know they're not an org they don't have like you know a fund or a chairman or whatever you know like they're just an affinity group because they came together to perform that action and then afterwards they you know go their, go their own separate ways uh the next question is from 30 bird uh there's a somewhat de- generational divide in organizing that being older on the ground established organizers who may not be in touch in online spheres and younger leftists not sure where to go beyond the internet do you guys have yeah right and they should say it do you guys have (laughs) any ideas on how to bridge the online and material spaces and organizing groups how do we avoid younger leftists started something that may already exist and need the support like we saw after the overturning of roe v wade last summer Mm -hmm. um i mean it's interesting like you know i don't know if there's a need for older people to be on the internet i'm a big fan of less older people being on the internet to be honest (laughs) um so i don't know if there needs to be a gap bridge there the whole point of red planet is trying to get all you nerds who are listening to us right now to go outside and do stuff um (laughs) so uh, that's my take anyone else (laughs) well my job as i conceive is to stitch together the online and the offline left because i do think the the internet has a huge organizing opportunity for leftists and uh yeah like like neil just said right like you're watching this right now that's what we're doing like one of the uh, crucial part of what we're doing is like reaching people who otherwise like they're not going to get interviewed on the fucking BBC or CNN or, you know, yeah. um, they're going to get interviewed on here because we like want to show people that it's a thing that they can go and join or do if there isn't one in their area. Right. Um, and that's like that. That's in terms of like um, uh, bridging the gap. Like, I think, yeah, it's not necessarily as just as Mule said, like, it's not necessarily that like established organizers need to be on the Internet all the time. But like, but like if um if influencers on the internet take the opportunity to uplift them and show and show everyone what they're doing, that's the way that that happens. I think that's the main thing to do there um, is just making, yeah, the, the younger leftists you're referring to in your question aware of what already exists is the main thing. And that's why we keep on saying people should be copying red planet. Um, Make I, a red you know, planet. Yeah. If you, if you, if you think you could do a, a good uh, one of your own version of red planet, do it um but i'm all it's also not just like if you're a chatter and 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 are an aspiring influencer it's also like i really really wish that like influencers with bigger platforms would copy red planet and yeah. interview fucking yeah. real world organizers because like there are people with like you know hundreds and thousands of, of, of millions of subscribers who yeah. could very easily just be like here's a quick interview with this thing and 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 genuinely have a real world impact massively, oh, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah absolutely oh, yeah. Um, speaking of also not kind of, I think there was something in the question about not doubling, you know, not trying to do something yeah. that someone else is doing or whatever. Um, it's only for America so far, but um, the Black Socialists of America have an amazing dual power map. Oh, wow. If someone was to make something like this, but global or even just like, you know, like a European one or whatever, it would be amazing. <laughs> it's kind of like a Google map scenario, but just like looks way cooler because it's all like black <laughs> and red and stuff. But um, it uh, you can tick off certain criteria on it and just 
just have a look at like, oh, it's like, yeah, there is some stuff outside of America. It looks like just in American territory. So like Hawaii and stuff. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, and it's like, just you can zoom around the map and you can say like, okay, you know, mutual aid groups or tenant unions or whatever. And you can just kind of like zoom in and have a look. And um, yeah. yeah, it's pretty amazing. Like it's such a cool idea for them to do. But I guess it's also kind of like, is you know like when we're talking about the um you know the like the kind of divide with like people that are more like online or offline like if you are someone that has skills to you know to code things like this this is like the this is like a pretty amazing tool you know yeah oh totally um, yeah 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 so there's yeah there's definitely i mean there's like yeah. and it's a, the same thing that we were kind of saying with the stuff about disabilities and stuff like this there is this job for everyone kind of like yeah. in you know the greater leftist project um absolutely it's not all just like kind of like boots on the ground or anything like that yeah so um yeah yeah tools like this are super super cool and really um kind of like you know like i don't know like it's kind of um stuff like this is really exciting to me because it shows like um the new tools that we have for organizing that um yeah you know like that are coming out all the that's time that's what i mean the internet is an incredible yeah, tool yeah. for organizing yeah so uh, um, I just want to I just want to shout out this map straight away. I've been on it for like two seconds, and I've <laughs> I've I found like twenty tenants unions in in the United States. That's so cool, right? Uh, we'll put a link in the description of the podcast, I think, uh, and, and yeah. also uh, the the YouTube pods. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, um, well, we have a question from Spellcaster Sugar, and they've asked. At what point does a food bank become a co-op, become an autonomous zone, become dual power? <laughs> and how much have I oversimplified this? What would you add? Very vague question, but would be interested to hear your thoughts. So yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so uh, it could be a co-op from the beginning and probably should be, uh, is, yeah. is, is one thing. Uh, and then as, as for autonomous zone and dual power, uh, if you have an autonomous zone, that's dual power. It, it's local to just your zone, but you've made dual power if yeah, it's yeah. truly an autonomous zone. Like, yeah. you, you know, you you have done it. So um, your food bank co-op autonomous zone dual power is actually like food bank should be co-op and autonomous zone is dual power. So it, it's yeah, really yeah. just about like, um, yeah, I mean, when you become autonomous, when you have sovereignty is when it would become dual power yeah that's like um what we were talking about at the very start and also something that is in the video that i made a while back whatever where it's um we're talking about like establishing an opposing power an opposing i guess like power structure or whatever that lets people kind of like um like shrug off their reliance on the capitalist structure so when you've got an autonomous zone you've got a complete you know you've got this own zone that doesn't need to you know like it doesn't need to doesn't need the capitalist like systems for anything you know it's just it's doing its own thing um so that is like a very like that's um i guess almost a penultimate stage of like you know building dual power towards a revolution um And yeah, obviously, like a yeah, a food bank is um, a food bank can be organized a whole bunch of different ways. So it's like a food bank doesn't necessarily equate to you know like a you know like like yeah like it's like it should be run as a co-op, but it might not be. It might be run yeah. as like a little kind of like charity NGO sort of thing or whatever like that. But um, it could be um, yeah, it could be something that does help people like, you know, take the pressure off from capitalism or whatever like that. But it's not necessarily a step towards, you know, like 
dual power. Because socialists are constantly put in the position of having to save capitalism from itself, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so um, one final, more. Yeah, yeah. The final question is from Aristo Bear, who says, "Do you think the corporate instincts to maximize profits will outlive the corporations in a syndicalist system? For no. instance, if my job, <laughs> for instance, if my job were to suddenly become a strong co-op in that system, our prices and practices and our relationships to community and collaborators would be very hard to change." Well, like Sophie said, no is the answer to that, and. Um, my reasoning. What profits? Is, what profits are? What there profits are going to be made? Exactly. Yeah. You know, you're talking about like, okay, think about the concept of a worker-owned co-op. Mm. You cannot tell me that someone will get to that stage without fundamentally reorganizing how they think about the world, right? Like, if if you think that it that like the way that that things are to progress in our society is that the workers own the means of production <laughs> like you're telling me that you think that they're still going to be motivated by profit I, I understand the fear don't get me wrong i do understand the fear but what you have to remember is that like we're living in capitalist realism like all of us are in completely um you know unable to imagine this you know fantastical utopian outside of outside of capital but it, it, it exists and it will exist and it already exists in lots of different places mm. and you kind of have to look at these places in order to see how that goes like for example um <clears throat> Uh, Jay Jordan and Issa Fomo from the Laboratory of uh, Insurrection and Imagination. They made a film. Um, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but I'm sure if you go to the episode of, of uh, uh, Red Planet where we had them on, they'll tell you what it is. But they go through a bunch of places where they've made communes. They go to a worker-owned uh, co-op factory in mm -hmm. Poland. And they literally are there like... You know, we basically make the stuff that we need to make. We don't make any more of it than's necessary. And, you know, these people that are talking are super based. Like, they're not like, do you know what I mean? <clears throat> they're not like um, um, desperate to make more profits. The company, okay, Aristobert is in the chat saying the company manufactures products for contractors. So it's their profits I'm referring to. Right. The people who are made, who are, who, the profit share goes to all the workers, right? The profit share goes to all the workers. So they're not they're not going to be desperate to make loads of money. They're already going to be making more than enough money from the contracts that they currently have. I have two serious notes here. I, I was dismissive to begin with. I have two serious things to say. Uh, one, okay. If you're talking about the job you're in right now, becoming a co-op, right? Now, just your job becoming a co-op, then yeah, basically... Yeah, there'll still be profits because you still live inside a capitalist system. You'll right. still want the business to get bigger, but it'll be a, a co-op. So the business getting bigger will refer to you getting you you expanding, you hiring more people on you, you know, who also will, will be paid the same. Like Mule's saying, you're you're getting an equal share, you know. Um, you building the power of that co-op, right? But that's within a capitalist system, right? Um, the better way to think of like full syndicalism is to think about someone's needs right someone's needs for power and you know as in utilities and like food and shelter and healthcare, right and it's like all of these systems already exist but we could just do them without money because if everyone was being fed and everyone had healthcare and everyone had housing and everyone had utilities then they wouldn't need money for anything if everyone everything was essentially free yes um so that's that's a way to think about syndicalism right um 
And under that system, like once you reach that point, and that's the point where everything is a co-op, everything is, is fully unionized, fully organized, fully in the hands of the worker, then there are no profits, right? But yes, yeah. in, the short, in the short term, yes, if your job only, if, if your workplace only became a co-op, yes, you would have to apply to some, some capitalist logics. And that is a limitation of like worker co-ops as a model for organizing. Like they are not they are still existing as competing businesses. And yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the second thing I have to say is um, in that system, I just described where there aren't profits, where the workers do on the means of production. Um, there's a different, there's slightly different but related concern that I could touch on, which is like um, David Graeber points out, everybody drink. Uh, uh, David Graeber points out in Utopia of Rules that like people like to make more of the thing they do. Um, so he's talking about bureaucracy when he says this. So like the reason we keep on ending up with more and more and more bureaucracy is that like people like to just like add more to the thing they're doing in the, in the way that like people who make casks of wine would like to make better and more casks of wine, right? Bureaucrats want to make more of and so on, right? That's a, that's a motivation that will outlive corporations. That's something, that's a kind of competitiveness or whatever that will outlive yes. the capitalist incentives um that people will want their thing to be the best that it can be but i'm not particularly worried about that because ultimately i think i think of that as a very positive impulse um, it is except yeah. for except for you know ramifications for the climate and that's part of why i said earlier that like in my vision of dual power i'd love for there to be um organizing that is explicitly defending the climate <laughs> um yeah. as, a, as an element in there yeah i think um Aristo Bray, the way that you framed your question is is interesting for a couple of reasons, and that's because you the first part of your question basically talks about the future outside of capitalism, which mm. is post-capitalist thought, which is like, okay, well, will these corporate instincts exist beyond that? And that is an interesting question. And obviously, Sophie's just you know spoken about like one or a couple of points of view regarding that. And then the second part of the question is like you're thinking about it now. So you're thinking about the future and also like what is happening now. And I think that's where it's like a bit of the confusion uh, for me anyway came from. But yeah, I hope that answers you, your question there. But that is it. Oh my Hooray. gosh. It's the end of a red planet. Here we are. Uh, well done, everyone. And um, yeah, I think I think it would be absolutely remiss for us to not mention the Patreon because actually we didn't mention the Patreon at the end of the news segment. Are you talking okay. about patreon.com slash red underscore planet? Sophie, shit you not, I am. Oh my God, could you read my mind? I knew it. I knew you could. You're a psychic. No, I can read Conrad's show notes. <laughs> um, so yeah, listen, we are on a patron a patreon we, we have a patreon it's called patreon.com forward slash red underscore planet um please become a patron it not only means that we get to give uh conrad lots of lovely flavored gruel if you give us more money we could potentially think about adding flavor to it that would be nice like bug um, flavor and like dirt flavor yeah maybe like um like a like a roadkill flavor i think that yeah. would be spicy yeah, cold cum flavor, um, and, uh, <laughs> and and so we're uh, we're we're most of the way to our next goal, and that would be really cool to hit that goal. Uh, so we <laughs> we we hit a goal where we were able to hire a producer, and that was really cool because Conrad's helped the show immeasurably, and we love him to bits despite our jokes. Um, we but do, we are trying we to hire an editor, which would be really amazing for helping the growth of the show even more. Um, please, seriously, if you're watching this or listening to this or whatever right now. 
check out patreon.com slash rad underscore planet and support us because hitting that next goal would be massive for the show. Now, if you want to support us, there are a few ways that you can do that. And the first one at two pounds a month is called Sprite Mode. Uh, get started with your support for Red Planet by becoming a Sprite. Benefits include the sacred of forbidden knowledge you are helping the Red Planet team, access early access to VODs, access to the Red Planet Discord. That's right. We do have a Red Planet Patreon Discord where <gasps> we post memes and stuff it's good oh my god uh, there's a there's a little there's a there's an emote of tim's head wiggling around going all gobliny it's really it's it's good as hell speaking of goblins and tim tim why don't you tell us about goblin mode well so goblin mode is next tier up so it's i think it's it's 10 us or <laughs> uh 19 new zealand currently yeah. um per month and everyone loves a goblin we all get a little goblin mode from time to time Complete your gobology by going goblin mode with everything from sprite mode, a pack of cool red planet stickers for you to stick in legal places and only in places like that, and access to exclusive red planet discord hangouts. So that's the first one just gets you in the discord. Second one is we do like little hangout streams where we hang out, watch a movie or documentary or something like that. And um, yeah, just kind of chat a little bit, have a good time um yeah which is kind of fun a little bit more like more relaxed than i guess your average kind of red planet stream but uh yeah that's that's goblin mode that means that means we're all high when it's happening (laughs) (laughs) high on life (laughs) what's um what's what's the next uh next step up from that mule Thank you, Tim. Well, the next step up from that is beast mode. Uh, it's 20 US dollars a month. Holy shit. Are you actually going to go beast mode? Well, then we can offer you all the stuff from the previous lower tiers and pin badges. Yeah, that's right. Pin badges. Wear your excellent new red planet pin badge literally everywhere. It's completely cool and good to do so. Those, I believe, are almost ready to get shipped um and uh, conrad is uh, doing his uh, best to to get that sorted so stay stay patient beast motors out there and uh, yeah you will be enjoying your pin badge very very soon but there is a final special mode some may call it the final frontier um and enjoy <laughs> star trek very much as well sophie what is that final frontier yeah. of the red planet uh- modes let me tell you about Sicko, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Sicko mode uh, for $100 a month. So let me just clarify, if we got three more Sickos, that would hit our next goal. If we got like 15 beasts or like 30 goblins or just, t- just tons of sprites, that would hit our, hit our goal. So again, it's really worth you supporting us at any tier that you can. Uh, but Sicko mode, if you support us this much, we can only reasonably offer you everything from the lower tiers plus a very special thank you message at the end of every stream and that thank you message sounds like this my sickos my lovely sickos goblin games nz and jbp you make this show happen wow thank you so much you're literally my best friend you can tell your friends i'm your girlfriend it's true Thank you, you don't sickos. know my girlfriend. She's on a she's on a communist roundtable discussion every week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You she wouldn't know her. School. She goes to a different um, school. Yeah. But as well as uh, Patreon um, and and getting more Red Planet away from the stream, you can also get more in- individually of the hosts away from the stream. For example, uh, DJ Mule, uh, which stands for Dual Power Dual Power Mule 
power. Um, <laughs> dual power. When, where, where can you find more dual power, dual power, mule power? Well, I'll tell you. Thanks, Sophie. That's right. Uh, you can get me at twitch.tv forward slash DJ Mule, which is DJ M U E L. Uh, for those of you listening on the podcast who don't know how to spell my name yet, um, that is on uh, Twitch. I do that Monday to Friday. I basically, like I've said in the stream, we look at weird little goblin guys who do farming and uh, grow potatoes in like cardboard boxes and shit. It's rad. Nice. We have a good time. Um, come there and give me money because that is the main place that I earn my money. But you can also go to patreon.com forward slash DJ M U E L because that is also where I make some of my money uh and that is because that's where i uh, do all the stuff for the updates for my upcoming videos uh new video is very 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 close to being finished i'm very excited for it to come out um so yeah if you want to learn more about what that is what it's about all the trials and tribulations i've had making it then go over to patreon.com forward slash dj m-u-e-l but enough about me i want to hear about tim well uh so you can find me uh here on twitch or youtube as conquests of dread where i um yeah i haven't been streaming too much lately because i've been a little bit busy but um might do a couple little mini streams of random indie games here and there um a bunch of people have been emailing me lately asking me to play their games for them so um that's interesting the last one oh, lazy. Was... they can't even play their own games i know <laughs> what the, <hell? laughs> the last one was actually the awesome um cop killer 22xx which um was was very fun and um it's just launched in early access so check it out if you want it's um yeah it, it, it's pretty based it's very good um and but yeah or you can catch me over on twitter as dread conquest which is mainly just shit posting and um duncan on nerds um and by nerds i mean <laughs> turfs and you know people like that um yeah that's me um sophie what about where can we find you thank you for asking uh all my links are available well, hang on a second now. There is a fourth host to the show. She might not be here right now. Oh, Let me just oh, qu- yeah. quickly tell you about Kira Chats. All of Kira's links can be found at linktr.ee slash Kira Chats. Uh, there are some links there I can't talk about, can't name them because the Twitch terms of service, but they're good links and you should click on them. Uh, similarly, but not the same kind of links, I have a link tree, a linktr.ee slash Sophie for Mars. Uh, I make video essays on YouTube. I have a Patreon uh, that helps me to pay the bills. And I currently have a video about Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes that I just finished filming today. So it will be available Ooh. early for $2 plus patrons very soon. So it would be a good time to support me. Uh, I'll also be making a video about climate change and doomerism and stuff. Uh, it's been a big one. I've been working on it for like 18 months now. Uh, and that will be available sometime next month, I'm really hoping. So uh, please check out my Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Sophie from Mars. And uh, that's, that's basically the good places to check me out. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking to No More Exclusions, an abolitionist group focused on education. So join us then. It's actually, I've talked to people awesome. from this group. They're very cool. I'm looking forward to it. Bye. Yeah, I'm right. sure you come to that one. Right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Red Planet. If you enjoyed the show, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell all your comrades about it. Find more on the show, including where to watch live at redplanetshow.com. 
follow us on Twitter and TikTok at red underscore planet underscore TV. And there's even more on our Patreon, patreon.com slash red underscore planet. Our music is by Jasper Byrne. Red Planet is produced by Comrade Zimmerman in association with Mercenary Creative. See you next week.